This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Because it's overused and because a lot of the people that use it, use it uh, with some sort of a pointed agenda. The word is wokeness. Uh, You know, I don't know about you, but I don't think I ever heard the term woke before a year and a half ago. Right. But um, it's now I can't go a day without hearing the word woke. That being said. I um, can't think of a better story that typifies and epitomizes the wokeness mentality in this country than a story that has rocked the American literature community. Yes, the American literature community, the only community that is more exciting than the American chess community. Then l- listen to this, because it's, this is pretty interesting. Now, we have to look at the uh, – this is, again, this is a magazine that I didn't really know about, but that's because I'm not really into the literature community. There's a magazine called Hobart, H-O-B-A-R-T. Let's have a look at some of the drama that is going on at Hobart, a well-established American literature magazine. An editor interviewed Alex Perez – Alex Perez is a Cuban-American writer who ranted in a very entertaining way. And I'm sorry I didn't pull the audio, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link uh, to this if you want to see it at uh, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. But uh, Alex Perez ranted, uh, you can read the article for yourself, in a very entertaining way about the literary scene and how sensitive and lame the liberal, rich, white fiction world had gotten. Again, we're talking about fiction writers, okay? People that write novels and essays and literary criticism and things of that nature. He talked about how, um, how, uh, how lame the liberal, rich, white fiction world had gotten. What happened next after he gave this interview and went on this rant? Well... It's almost like out of a movie. You could predict exactly what's going to happen. The rich, white fiction world got very upset. Upset indeed. How dare Alex say these things? And how dare the magazine print them? Hobart's staff, this literary magazine staff, resigned en masse in outrage citing Perez being allowed to speak, quote, regressive, harmful things in their hallowed uh, hallowed pages. Um, This is crazy. And now Alex Perez um, is under fire 
because of this revolt from these writers and editors. Um, I'll, I'll read you just a little bit about this, but I think this is if this is yet another example of the lunatics running the asylum here. Now, if you're lucky enough to have a job in journalism or writing for one of these literary magazines, I can't understand why you would think it's a good idea to publicly berate a colleague for giving opinions that you don't agree with. You know what I would do if I were one of these people? First of all, I would never quit my job, that's for sure. Second, what I would do is I would explain why I disagreed with him. I would maybe even challenge him to a debate. Instead, we're now in a society where, whether it's the world of literature, academia, media, politics, business, whatever, we're now in a society where freedom of speech exists as a theory that sounds good in the First Amendment, but increasingly it seems like freedom of speech as a practical matter doesn't really exist at all because if a literary magazine staff can hold you hostage for giving your opinion, is that really freedom of speech? To me, this is simultaneously astonishing and not surprising at all. I don't care about anybody's politics, but 20 years ago, 30 years ago, can you... Imagine this happening. I can't. 800-848-9222. And uh, the editor is uh, Elizabeth Ellen. um, And uh, she apparently is on the receiving end of some of this outrage because she allows Alex Perez to have a voice. This is what some of these editors uh, say. After considerable private conversations, Hobart's undersigned undersigned staff editors are resigning from Hobart effective immediately. The publication of Alex Perez's interview reflects a continued pattern of behavior on the part of a single editor, Elizabeth Ellen, to prioritize attention driven by outrage rather than forwarding innovative work that adds new perspective to Hobart and the literary community. How did we get here? The issue is twofold. The first is that Elizabeth Ellen has a legal claim to be a presence at Hobart that cannot be easily altered. The second issue is this. All staff editors at Hobart have the same publication privileges on the back end of the website. This allowed for flexible work schedules and reduced hierarchy, but it also relied on everyone acting responsibly. We all had the technical power to publish whatever we wanted with impunity. The success of Hobart as a group project required all editors to act with good faith and with the knowledge that our actions would reflect on on everyone else. Additionally, Hobart operated on a rotating editorial schedule with each section editor taking over, reviewing, and publishing submissions four times a year. This was meant to alleviate burnout for the volunteer staff, but it also created... So, um, the content that started all this was regressive, harmful, and also just boring writing. This, the misogyny and white supremacy, there you go. You know you have to, uh, you know you have to include white supremacy. The misogyny and white supremacy were treated with empathetic engagement. And this is what these writers write, okay? These are professional editors here. 
This is a quote. And that sucked beyond measure. I wonder what literary school these guys went to where those are, that's the kind of way they're framing an argument. All this led to attention being taken from the work we are proud to have published, much of it by the very writers Perez denigrated in his interview. I don't know how we got here as a society, but the fact uh, – this is unimaginable to me. I, um, I work in radio, which is a tough business to get a job in. If Chad Lopez, the president of our uh, of Red Apple Media, John Katsimatidis, the owner of Red Apple Media, if one of them said something publicly that I disagreed with, do you know what you'd hear from me? Exactly. That is precisely what you would hear from me. I am lucky enough to have a job because of these folks. I would never in in a million years think about resigning and resigning in so public a way. So uh, Kimberly Bliss, the former fiction editor, Francis Dinger, former nonfiction editor, Evan Fleischer, the former fiction editor, Laura Gill, former nonfiction editor, and Michael Sun, formerly the poetry editor. They've all signed this. They've all um, they've all said this is that this is just terrible. Now, I have written these public resignations letter, letters before. You know when I did it? I did it when I was involved in the leadership of the Independence Party. I don't want to go through the whole issue now, but you can Google it if you care to. And interestingly enough, the uh, person that I was sort of publicly feuding with, the Alex Perez in that situation, was uh, Frank McKay, who now I'm very good friends with, who's been a guest on this show and uh, is the president of uh, WABC Long Island, 107.1 FM. And it just goes to show you, you know, if you you just wait a few minutes, things change and uh, you could patch things up. But the difference to me between what I did 12 years ago and what these writers have done is so substantial. One, a political party that loses its way and somebody that's in the leadership of that party speaking out about that and resigning in protest, I think that's kind of what political parties are all about. That's what the, being the leadership of a political party is all about. Tulsi Gabbard did the same thing when she resigned as uh, vice chair of the DNC. But if you're a writer or an editor for a literary magazine, isn't your whole job to encourage and foster free speech and to shepherd free speech and free expression? To me, it's not at all the same thing as as what I did, but uh, I find this bizarre. And I I find it sad that this kind of behavior is just so normal these days. 800-848-9222. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Steve in Brooklyn. Hello, Steve. Yes, there's an old saying in places such as literary journals and academia especially. Do you know why the battles are so furious and intense? Because the stakes are so small. (laughs) I've heard that phrase, and uh, you're right. That certainly applies here. I know an analogous, a vaguely analogous story right now. Uh, And in fact, the New York Times Arts and Leisure section wrote a piece about an obscure journal of music theory at the in a a university in Texas, and a whole gang that were like piranhas in a feeding frenzy went after a Jewish uh, music teacher there uh, 
for, for white supremacy and racism, nothing could be further from the truth. But they loved ganging up on one person. And so he is in the process of a lawsuit fighting back against them for the abridgment of his academic freedom and freedom of speech. And so far, he is prevailing over the villains, the stupid fools who decided he was easy prey, they thought. Well, in a very interesting thing in which he sued a whole department and faculty, many of them have resigned. A few of them have fled the country to avoid the court's jurisdiction to put them under uh, deposition. Well, obviously, you know, I don't know the... All it needs is pushback. Right. That's I, the point I, obviously, that I'm making. The I, moment I somebody stands up to a lot of these villains, suddenly the snowflakes begin to melt and they're, they're put at sixes and sevens because they really don't expect to have much of a pushback. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. Obviously, I don't know the situation that you're talking about. But um, if it's what you described, then, um, you know, I can't say that I'm surprised, number one. And I do largely agree. But you know what else we're seeing? Um, And I don't even the other phrase that I don't like to use is cancel culture. But it it just works so perfectly here. The the one of the interesting things about cancel culture is it does create opportunities to do things on your own, especially in the digital era where if you have, you know, enough uh, social media followers, you are essentially your own social network. And, uh, you know, we've seen this with Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly was uh, run out of town on a rail, figuratively, and uh, he's now more successful than ever doing his own thing independently. We were talking about this with John Stossel the other day. He chose to withdraw Barry Weiss had to leave the New York Times because of their movement towards uh, towards wokeness. But uh, I think that this they've all done. They've all set up their own independent outlets to allow themselves to be free of the strangleholds of corporate media. And this is one of the reasons, sincerely, that I'm always trying to push my social media, because the more followers that I can get on social media, that's one step closer to having that kind of intellectual freedom that if I ever say something stupid that gets me kicked off the radio, I could, which God, I hope never to be, you know, let go. But um, if I am ever canned, I can then do the kind of thing that John Stossel's doing and Bill O'Reilly. So if you want to help make that a reality, you can go and uh, follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Or on uh, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. 800-848-9222. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Oh, hello. Uh, got two things. Actually, uh, I went on a hayride. Uh, for Scary Hayride, no Frankenstein, no Dracula, no werewolf, no mummies. I'm like, what happened to these uh, characters? They just get rid of them? You know, I mean, they had Jason, but, you know. Oh, well, that's scary. A little bit more. I know, but it's not like Frankenstein. I mean, uh, I guess they don't use those characters anymore. And and the second thing was I was watching a commercial about... Uh, Return of uh, of Wakanda uh, movie coming up, and their main character hero is going to be replaced by a woman. So I don't think it's wokeness. What I think is is it's the removal of the alpha male, and I don't think that's a good thing. 
I really don't. Well, I, 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 I look, I um, I see what you're saying, Mike, and that's one of the reasons I said, and thanks for the call. It's one of the reasons that I said that for this one election where I'm undecided, I am seriously considering voting based on gender and ethnic solidarity because I do think there actually is an attack on men in society. I'm not going to say alpha men or beta men, whatever. I do think there's an attack on men and masculinity. And um, I think, you know, my voting for a man when I'm undecided is kind of a reaction to that. I don't think that applies to this situation that we're talking about with Hobart and Alex Perez. I think uh, this is squarely folks that are, you know, the other caller used the term snowflake. And I think that kind of fits. This is squarely within the realm of people not being able to hear or deal with speech that they don't like. I think that's what that's a reflection of. 800-848-9222. Let me me take a quick break and we'll continue with your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I'm sure you've heard it a million times. This song is called um, Walk of Life by Dire Straits. Okay? It's a it's a very popular song. It's been popular for almost 40 years. And it's uh you know, it's by the British rock band Dire Straits. And it's um, an interesting song. I've never really thought much about it, right? In my life. Until last week. Okay, Um, (laughs) I stumbled upon a website that I think is one. I think it's the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. I I have to say this. It's called uh, wallproject.com. W-O-L for walk of life. W-O-L project.com. And the person behind this, and I'm going to try and get this guy on the show. Because he might be the smartest person that I've ever encountered. The hypothesis of this walk of life uh, project is that this song, the song you're hearing now, is the perfect song to end any film, any motion picture. And what they've done is they've actually re-edited the last scene of movie after movie And they put this song in there, and I have to tell you, it works perfectly every single time. And and not not just romantic comedies, not just comedies, not just action, every possible type of film. And you watch these films, and you think, this song is so perfect. How is this not the, um, the song that was in there? 
But sure enough, I spent a substantial amount of time on Thursday and Friday, and time that I didn't have to spend, um, going through all these films with my wife, with my friend Brendan. Baby Driver, 12 Monkeys, 127 Hours, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Batman, The Birds, The Godfather, Casablanca, Chinatown, The Dark Knight Rises, Gladiator, uh, the last episode of Friends, Easy Rider, Dr. Strangelove, The Graduate, Gran Torino, Halloween, Inception, Heat, Lost, Lost in Translation, The Matrix, Modern Times with Charlie Chaplin. They use this song as the last song that you see on the screen, and it works perfectly. Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And I, and I, I just went down such a rabbit hole. I'm going to link to this as well. If you want to see, they have these clips available, um, and you it's on my uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. But you listen to this song, and you think, how could this work in The Godfather? Right after Kay says, is it true, Michael? Is it true? How could this song work? It works. How could it work at the end of Terminator 2? Where Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't want to give away the ending to anybody that hasn't seen it. Arnold Schwarzenegger is giving the thumbs up uh, to... You know, to the thing, the Truman Show, it works better than the song that was in the Truman Show. So I am all for this Walk of Life project. Uh, I think this this is the greatest thing I've seen in a long time. And if I ever produce a motion picture, I am going to get the rights to this song to use it in the last scene. In fact, if we ever make like a promotional video for this show, I'd like to use this as the last scene you know, in that promotional video. Because it works so perfectly every time. Um, Matt Blaze, have you seen this? No, but I, I could, you know, I'm listening to this song. And like you said, I, I know this song a million, heard it a million times and played it. And I'm thinking, yeah, it, it would work in every movie. Not only that, but it would probably work in every episode of every TV show. Like, this is like the freeze frame, and then this song comes in. Yeah, it, Psycho, Planet of the Apes, The Shining. Singing in the Rain, RoboCop. There are clips of all of them on the YouTube. Star Wars. Um, there are clips of all of them on the YouTube or on this website, wolproject.com. I, you know, I don't know the people behind it. I'm not trying to give them a free commercial. I just find it brilliant. I find it so brilliant. So I would encourage you, not when you're listening to this show, but when you have some time later, take a look at the Walk of Life Project. This was the... You know, before this, I had my doubts about whether Al Gore had done the right thing in inventing the Internet. After this, my doubts were put to rest. This is why the Internet exists. Stuff like this. All right. Uh, So check it out. If you want to uh, comment... You can 800-848-9222. I'd be curious... If you watch some of these clips, like especially movies that you wouldn't think that it would work with, like The Shining or There Will Be Blood or Star Wars, and see how perfectly it works. And if you agree, disagree, give me a call and tell me, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello 
to who's Dylan in Ontario. Hey, Dylan, we did some research, and according to our program director, you had called in last week about uh, shipping to Canada. According to our program director, we do ship to Canada. Oh, because, um, well, first of all, hello, Frank. Hello, Dylan. And um, I did send you a screenshot saying we don't ship international. And when I clicked on the country of origin to ship, it just said United States. Uh, you know, okay, well, so maybe maybe Matt Meany is not uh, up on that. I will, if you could, you, I've been having some computer difficulties, as you know. Uh, if you can email me that so I could pass it on to not only him and the uh, promotions department, we'll find a way to uh, make sure you're able to order. Because nobody, uh, especially our brothers to the north, our neighbors to the north, ner- nobody should be excluded. Absolutely not. Can I text it to you? Uh, you you know, it's easier if you can email it because I can just then forward it. Do you, do you not email? Are you averse to email? Uh, I don't really use email that much. Well, how old are you? Uh, are you a millennial or are you Gen Z? I'm 27 years old. So you're a millennial, right? Yeah, I've heard the millennials are rebelling against email. What's that about? I'm not too sure, Frank, uh, but... I guess they prefer like using text or using something else to get their message across because sometimes the emails can get screwed up. Well, I mean, but so can text, right? Yeah, true. All right. Uh, you know what? I'll find your tweet and I will I will find a way to email well, it. This is this is it's not my number one priority for the day, but it's in my it's in my top 30, I'll say for the day. All right. Uh, Frank, but I was also going to say uh, now about walk of life. Yes. I got a good idea. You should have that for a promo. You know, it would go like this. Every weeknight on WABC, it's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Listen as Frank will take you through the walk of life. I, I think that's good. I think that's not bad. Uh, I will um, I will forward this over to our uh, production director, Chris Libertini, and if you guys are able to work out something where he pays you a royalty or something, maybe we, we can use that. Sure, we can do that, and uh, I'll try and figure out how to get the email thing. Uh, no, nah, yeah, I'll find it. I'll, if you tweeted me, I'll find it, uh, but I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Dylan. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Woodside. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Uh, on Walk of Life, it's, uh, do they have a blind man's version, you know, so so I can do the Walk of Life screw. Uh, that'd be kind of interesting. Well, what I, do you I do? do like I mean, walk. you're blind, right, Mike? Well, legally blind. I still have some sight in one eye, you know, but uh, the buses, uh, they get interesting. <laughs> I, I can also, imagine. The delivery so, guys. I, I imagine the delivery you... guys. Oh, please, somebody do something about those delivery guys on the sidewalk. Well, I've am... so many of them when they run into me. I imagine you're not a big movie goer then, right, Mike? No. And you know what's weird? There's actually a big discount for blind people in the state of New York if you go to movies. Uh, you know, especially silent movies. It's kind of weird, but it actually exists. <laughs> All right. Um, but, uh, well, uh, yeah, I don't know that this particular project will do much for you if you can't see anything. But I don't know that you'll be able to appreciate it, but at least you can appreciate the fact that your sighted brethren can enjoy it, right? 
Yes, definitely. My kids are all sighted. I've got four sons, you know, uh, they're all going through uh, college right now and, and doing that kind of stuff. Wonderful. The reason I called was because of your, uh, the wokeness thing and uh, journalism. You know, one of the last gigs I had was with a British publication that uh, made me sign an NDA, so I can't mention their name, but uh, a bunch of British publications, they do basically all these big, huge, long articles, you know, where, where they pay you the same rate they paid Churchill. You know, we paid 20 pence a word back then. We're going to pay you the same, you know. So, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it may have been 50 years later. But they would make you fill out a form where not only your political affiliation, oh, who you donated to, they wanted to know who you voted for, you know, uh, in the last, like, 10 elections. And it was like, got to a point where I said, no, nah, I don't need this. And, and I spoke up and yeah, I lost the gig, but you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't worth it. Anymore. Oh no, I'm with you. I would have a tough time working for a company like that. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Best of luck to you. And that's one of the reasons, and I don't want to sound like I'm being patronizing here that I really consider myself uh, so lucky to work for John Katsimatidis, who's the owner of our network because if you look at the people that he's employed, not only on the network, uh, but the, the podcast network and on WABC, it's it's a murderer's row of people who have had scandal. And John doesn't doesn't let that disqualify them from having radio shows. I, mean, I don't want to go through everybody's scandals, but everybody has them except uh, who's the one scandal free uh, host that we have? I don't, I don't know. Maybe James Golden. Right. But other than that, I think everybody has some baggage. Uh, Scandal is probably too harsh a word, has some baggage. And that baggage would cause a lot of other corporate entities to bristle about ever hiring that person. But not John. He runs right. He doesn't let that intimidate him at all. 800-848-9222. Eddie is in Babylon. Hello, Eddie. Well, that's, that's very interesting you said that because I went into the Columbus Day Parade. I saw you sitting next to Vinnie Menudo. Virginia. I, I turned around and there's John Casavitidis. And there's a radio show for sale on Long Island here that I found out about. It's like Joe Piscopo getting to John and saying, hey, you want to buy this? And John Casavitidis looks at me, puts out his hand, he shakes it, and he goes, here's my cell phone number. So, Frank, and I have much respect for you. I'm going to tell you something about Bill O'Reilly. I'm, I'm just no, I mean, like you can save your O'Reilly comment. I mean, uh, Bill, Bill has, oh. you know, his own show. You don't have to, you know. Well, well, well he survived. Like you said, you could right. try it any time. I, I think I'd want an hour of Curtis Lewis time to have my own radio show. <laughs> he, he takes his radio station, buys it. But I look at John Casatini's inside. I'm like Jackie Gleason. I'm saying, hamana, 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 hamana. And uh, then I turn around, there's uh, Joe Piscopo singing New York, New York with Maria Bartolomo and Kenny Rosario. And uh, I, I just thank you. I, I, I thank you. You have your son for staying up all night and doing what you do. Oh, well, that's awfully nice of you. Thank and, you. No, God forbid you should ever get fired. And I get this radio show out in Montauk. Um, I won't say the name. I don't want to put it out there. I will have you on my radio show, Frank. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Eddie. I appreciate that. That's nice of you. Well, you you believe in everything. You believe in UFOs, and you know I've talked to you. I've seen one, and maybe I was on one once. I don't know, but uh, you, you're diverse. You're talented, um, and I don't know how 
Bill O'Reilly just reinvented himself to protect himself. And maybe that's what we have to do. So I want, I want to see the uh, Frank Morano Network. I'm gonna, I guess I'll look you up on Twitter or something. I might see you on Wednesday. I All right. Well, maybe. Thank, thank you, Eddie. Appreciate, we'll appreciate that. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Even a little all over the place there. Was, uh, but, but that's fine. It was all, all well intentioned, right? Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me say hello to Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah. Yes. Hi, Frank. Hey, yes. I'd like to say that uh, that yes. it's outrageous to smother. Uh, opinions of uh, the the writers of Hobart. It's it's it for them to uh, for the, the individuals who uh, had quit. It seems like uh, like there's something wrong with them to not realize that everybody has to have an opinion. They uh, they had opinions too. They put their opinions out. And no one said, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit because of their opinions." There's, there's something wrong with that. What was so horrendous that uh, that drove them to that conclusion? Right. I mean, that, that's exactly the point that I was trying to, uh, that I was trying to make. And you're, you nailed it, uh, Tom. I mean, wh- I've never understood, and that's why I really do bristle. Whenever I have people on this radio show um, who might express a view, whether it's a political view or a view related to aliens or something that folks don't agree with, and they owe it, they they feel the need to write to me and inform me. Oh, I turned your show off then when you had so and so on. And all I could think is, are you such a delicate little flower that you can't bear to hear an opposing view or somebody that comes from a different perspective? And I think in some ways, this story at Hobart. Uh, and thanks for the call, Tom, is a microcosm of everything that's wrong with the country. And if uh, people are just tuning in, we're talking about the story of um, this writer, Alex Perez, who gave an interview in which he railed against the um, essentially what's going on in the fiction world, too much wokeness and so forth. And the magazine that he writes for, a lot of the, the staff quit on mass. All the ed- editors quit on mass. Not all of them, I don't think, but at least four or five of them. And I think it's just mind-boggling to me. M- absolutely mind-boggling. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. Hey, hey Frank. Um, don't let me meander too much. You had a caller earlier that said it was about the removal of the alpha male. That's part of it, and specifically like the the white Whenever alpha anyone male, says, whatever don't white male. Let me meander but too much. This, you this know all, they're going to be meandering. You may or may not agree. Let's this see if all I'm fall right. out from 2016. Like they they had some kind of nervous breakdown when when Donald Trump was elected. You know, and who's the number one? Who's the number one white man they hate? Donald Trump. I mean, look look what's going on. So you know, it's just uh, so now everyone's emotionally incontinent. Um, you know, they 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 say diversity, yes, but then you've got the gentleman at newspaper writings. He, it's not diversity of thought. That's a problem for them. So you know what I'm saying? It's it's a it's 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 a concerted effort. You know, it's but I I, I don't think you agree with that. So it's all it's all since 2016. Everyone's gone nuts since uh, since Trump. Uh, it, it, you know they, they worship Hillary. I don't know. You know it's just crazy 
What do you think? Well, uh, I, I actually, I Eric, uh, thank you, Eric. I'm actually very pleasantly surprised at the lack of meandering there. There was not that much meandering. He had a point. He had an observation, and he made it, and I think that's great. I thought it was a good point. But um, I don't agree. In fact, I actually think that in some ways Trump's election was more a response to what was happening in society than the other way around. I think um, that Trump's election in part was a reflection of people finding it so refreshing that folks on the world stage, a, a major presidential candidate, was willing to use politically incorrect language because that's how people speak in real life. They speak how Donald Trump speaks to themselves, to their family members, to their friends. And yet when almost every other politician, there are a few exceptions, almost every other politician, they get up there and they say uh, they sound like these politically correct robots. So I actually think Trump was more a response uh, to a lot of this stuff than a cause of it personally. But I, I could see how reasonable people can disagree. And actually, uh, that's not quite as interesting as a hypothesis as the Walk of Life project. But it still is interesting, I must say. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Coming up, uh, we have no guests today. So that means there's going to be plenty of time for you and I to chat. And that means you're responsible for the content today. That means you are responsible for uh, making this show entertaining and informative as much as I am. So if you want to kick in a little to the content kitty, give us a call. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. I am the father of a beautiful... 10-month-old baby boy named Carmine. And I'll tell you, one of the most frightening moments of my entire life was maybe about a month or so ago when I was cooking, and he had just started crawling, and he crawled into my feet in the kitchen, and as I was flipping something that I was cooking, some hot oil splattered onto his head and burned him. This was so frightening. Imagine how I felt with that. Now imagine you see a child choking. Unfortunately, you don't have to imagine that because choking takes the life of a child every five days. And that's why LifeVac is so important. It's a choking rescue device that has now saved over 500 lives. It's an airway clearance device that's made in the United States. Every home, every school, every restaurant needs a LifeVac. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more. That's LifeVac.net. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? I give you anything to feel it coming. Do you wake up on your own? I wonder where you are. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. This is uh, Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls. This is part of the Matt Blaze amendment or addendum 
to the Walk of Life Project. The hypothesis of the Walk of Life Project is that you can use that song, Walk of Life, to end any film. And I believe that hypothesis is being borne out. If you go to the, I just linked to the thing on uh, on Facebook or on the YouTube, you could see they've proven this. Now, Matt Blaze has chosen to play this song because he believes that you can use this. For almost any motion picture. Is that accurate? Yes. This song has been used over and over again. This song itself, actually two Goo Goo Dolls songs, but this one, Slide, in almost every romantic comedy trailer of like the 90s, even up to now a lot of them, they use this song. You always hear that beginning. Uh, yeah. You know, it does sound familiar. Um, this. Do, do you have um, a list of motion pictures that it's been used in? I was looking, and I did find a website that lists the best use of Google Doll songs oh, really? in movies or TV. So they show the other Google Doll song, which also has been used a lot, is this one. This is Iris, which was 18 weeks at number one in the well, uh, late what 90s. movies was this in? Well, they're saying that this is in a Family Guy episode. Um, they're just talking about different Google Doll songs, but you know, this song also th- is a trailer song. I, I, I've heard that uh, that song also. I feel like what's missing from your theory, Matt Blaze, is evidence, right? (laughs) The people behind the Walk of Life Project, they went to the trouble of editing these these films with that song, and you've done nothing, right? You're just sort of co-opting our bumper music to push your own own Google Doll agenda. Oh, that would not be my Google Doll pick. But Kim, I mean that song. You, like, you, yeah, you've no, no, heard no. that. I song. have, I have heard it, but I don't feel like it fits every circumstance as well as no, not uh, every, as Walk not of every well, movie that's, like that's Walk what of we're Life. looking for here. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two. Oh, trailers. Okay. Hey, this is a real treat. I uh, I didn't know that they were usually up this late, but uh, we're or this early, depending on your perspective. But I am told that uh, that my cousin in law. Kimberly Kravitz, who is a distinguished news anchor, uh, beauty queen, broadcaster, and all-around just wonderful person, and her longtime companion, Kyle, um, are actually on the on the line right now. Kyle and Kim, uh, hello. Hello, Frankie. It's Kyle and Kimberly. We just got home, and we wanted to share the news after... What we usually do every night is listen to you and tell you that we actually got engaged tonight. And oh. we are so excited and so happy. And we could not wait to tell you and let you know all about it. It's just the most fantastic, fabulous thing that I could ever say, imagine, and dream of. And we are so Related to to talk about it. Well, that is uh, that is terrific. Congratulations! Uh, I'm, I can't say that I'm too surprised uh, because uh, you guys are a, a great couple, and uh, and Kyle, I'm uh, super excited that uh, that uh, that we're going to be uh, family. And uh, and Kim, it's been a real treat getting to know you uh, better over the last uh, four or five years, and uh, I've been so pleased to see the growth of your career. And uh, I can't think of a better mate for each of you than uh, than one another. And and it's really a net win for the human population because the, <laughs> the two of you are among oh the best-looking people I've ever seen. 
right? Uh, I mean, Kyle oh looks God. like a, a male model, the kind of uh, which that Kenneth, our call screener, could only dream of being. Uh, Kimberly, forget about it. I'm, I'm sure there are posters of you, uh, of News 12 fans all over the state of New Jersey. And uh, the, you guys are going to have very, very beautiful children, that's for sure. So congratulations. Couldn't be happier. We want you to just reach out to you and Cousin Rachel. Frankie, Frankie from the bottom of our heart, we listen to you all the time. And tonight when we got home, all we wanted to do was just let you know. For, honestly, we, we listen and we go, you know what? Why not call in and just tell them? Cause we haven't told our friends. We, so we, we are so freaking excited. You have no idea. I mean, you do have an idea. When you and Rachel, I, I mean, you, you remember that moment when you sat down and you got in your knee and, and you looked her in her eye and you told her that you loved her. It's the exact moment that we're going through right now. And the love that's going through our bones and our life is just incredible. And I just. I, I just couldn't wait to just call and tell you. <laughs> well, that's that's very exciting. I couldn't be happier for both of you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's so good to hear from you. I hope the family's doing great, and that little Carmine's getting so big. He is indeed. He is indeed. Kim and Kyle, uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll see you before the wedding, but uh, if not, you oh, know, I'll sure. uh, I'll clear my calendar. Do you have a date uh, picked out yet? Hey. Hey. Well, you'll, you'll be getting the same date shortly. Okay, well, yeah, you'll have to call in and break that news for us as well. Oh. Yeah. Uh, all right, thank you very much. Congratulations to you both. Take care. Uh, there you go. Did, did you lower them? We lost them at some point there. Well, you, they might have got lowered by accident. They, yeah, they got, they got lowered. They got matte blazed. That's all right. 800-848-9222. Hey, if you're getting engaged and you want to make an announcement, even if we're not related, call in. Uh, and uh, you can do so. 800-848-9222. I'm serious, though. This couple, this has got to be the best-looking couple that I have ever seen. These two, my goodness. Uh, they should, if you're a modeling agent, right, if you're you know, maybe trying to recruit Kenneth and he's rebuffing all your advances in terms of uh, a modeling contract— you should make a deal with Kim and Kyle and try and sign up their offspring. And you could probably get them as a good deal because you don't know if they're going to have one child, four children, five. I guarantee you, however many children they have, this will be the best-looking child in the world. Uh, so they should absolutely uh, – that, that's, that's great news. So if you're, if you're getting engaged, uh, give us a call, 800-848-9222. And you know what I took from that is they said, what do they do every night – they listen to me. They listen to this program. And I have always suspected, and I'm serious about this, I have always suspected that if you're um, looking to be romantic with your partner, right, get him or her in the mood, the best thing that you can do is put on this radio show because um, we we have everything, right? Not only do I think the melodious tones of my voice – make it conducive for romance, right? But we'll play a lot of music that I think will help put your partner in the mood in an amorous way. And we have a lot of fun on the show. So when you're when you're thinking of, you know, when you're trying to be amorous with uh with your loved one, you want something that's fun. You want something that's going to put a smile on your face. And I will tell you, a number of couples that I know have talked about how they have incorporated I'm not trying to sound weird here. They have incorporated me into their romantic life. I'm trying to avoid being graphic, but I, there's one couple that I know. 
uh, and I don't want to give anything away, but he's a very prominent politician, and he's married to a beautiful woman. And while they were courting, and they would be, you know, intimate with one another, this politician, he was not a politician at the time, he would do a Frank Morano impersonation while he was romancing his then-girlfriend, now-wife. And sure enough, they have two beautiful children. They're doing great. Uh, another couple I know, they were trying to conceive a child. And they were all about playing clips of this radio show while they were trying to conceive a child. Another couple I, I mean, Again, the list goes on and on. Uh, so I think the lesson here is if you're... If you're trying to get a little bit of um, spring back in your step, if you're trying to get a little bit more verve in your uh, in your uh, romantic life, the best thing you can do at night is play this radio show. And I think this is Exhibit A here, the Kyle and Kim relationship. 800-848-9222. I'm going to get back to your calls in just a moment. I did want to mention, uh, speaking of uh, young Carmine, Carmine and I had a delightful weekend. We, my wife was out of town. She w- went to Long Island. She and her friend from college rented a house out on Long Island for the weekend. They went out to eastern Long Island or to Suffolk County for the Stony Brook homecoming game. My wife is a graduate of Stony Brook. I got her a brick on alumni. There's an alumni walkway with different alumnus alumni, um, their names on the brick. I got her that. So she went to visit her brick. They went out, out to eat. They saw some of um, my uh, in-laws and uh, they went obviously to the football game. And obviously we missed her. And uh, at times the weekend was quite exhausting because you don't have somebody to trade off with so that you could take a nap. But it was uh, it was fun to spend the whole weekend with uh, with Carmine. We carved a pumpkin and uh, I, I did most of the carving because I didn't want him handling the knife because his knife dexterity at 11 months old is not the best yet. But uh, I made a jack-o'-lantern. We went to my dad's on Saturday for jack-o'-lantern carving, and mine was by far the worst because I'm competing with essentially three artists. I'm not going to do a comparison, but I was proud of the jack-o'-lantern we made. I had to use a stencil. None of the other people used a stencil. But I made a little bat thing, and I think it looks good. I think it looks good. So those that come trick-or-treating at our house, you'll see a uh, a bat jack-o'-lantern. And Carmine is going to be a pumpkin. Uh, he actually has two Halloween costumes, depending on which neighborhood he's going to be trick-or-treating in. Certain neighborhoods he's going to be a pumpkin, and other neighborhoods he's going to be a pig. So that's that. So uh, we had a fun weekend, but it was an exhausting, <laughs> an exhausting weekend. And uh, I did see the final Halloween movie which I will share with you my review a little bit later. Those of you that are holding, Al, John, Kathleen, Jeff, uh, if you continue holding, I will get to you momentarily. Coming up, Liz Truss. I, I am so into this story. I don't know why. Maybe it's schadenfreude. But um, she's out as prime minister. You think there's more to this story than meets the eye? Call me. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
had a article the other day, I think posted on the Facebook, about what's going on in British politics. And I've posted before about what's going on in Italian politics, because in some respects, while they have sort of different systems, the Italy and Britain are cousins, and Israel for that matter, in terms of the lack of stability that a lot of these governments are having. They're referring to the UK now as Britally because of how quickly these governments are dissolving in the UK. But anyway, I had an article posted the other day on uh, Facebook and about this situation involving the UK. And one person commented in words or substance, I don't have the comment in front of me, but one person commented essentially, oh, I don't care about that. I only care what's going on in this country. And on the one hand... Uh, My initial reaction was, how ignorant, how sad. Of course, what happens to a country like the U.K., which is a a very potent ally of ours and a big partner of ours on everything from national defense to tourism to trade, well, you name it, of course that affects us. So my first thought was to say, how ignorant are you that you're going to actually brag about the fact that you – don't care at all about what's going on in the UK. And then I thought, you know what? I have to give that person credit for being honest because there are probably a lot of people in our audience that care very little for what goes on in British politics. So at least this person, I don't remember if it's him or her, I think it was her, at least this person was... Honest enough to say what I think a lot of people are probably thinking. That being said, by now you've probably heard the story. The Prime Minister of the UK, Liz Truss, has resigned. At 40-something days, I don't know if it's 43 days or 45 days, depending on how you count, she is the shortest tenured Prime Minister in history. I talked about on Friday how there was a contest that the Daily Mail put out on YouTube where they had a photo of Liz Truss and a photo of a head of lettuce to wait and see which one wilted first to see if Liz Truss could outlast the head of lettuce. She couldn't. The head of lettuce is still going strong and Liz Truss is gone. Um, And uh, I thought that was very funny. Now they're dressing up the lettuce as Liz Truss. She's got a little wig and stuff. I mean, it's 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 fun on the one hand, and it's relatively harmless fun, but it's, it is a little mean-spirited. I, I don't like the whole kick them while they're down mentality, but it's still kind of funny. Uh, this is a little bit of Liz Truss announcing her resignation. Given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. So there you have it. Now, here's what's interesting, and here's why I don't mind people making uh, poking a little fun at Liz Truss, even though, as I said, I'm not generally a kick-em-while-they're-down kind of a person. She was served for 45 days. 45 days. And she's still going to be a member of Parliament, so she'll still have influence. She still has a, a job. Did you know this, what I'm about to share with you? Liz Truss stands to be the biggest winner in this whole scenario. Now, what are you talking about? 
She's been publicly rebuked. She's a national laughingstock. She's getting, uh, she's on the receiving end of a bunch of lettuce jokes. Being prime minister of the UK, even for just six weeks, is probably the best thing that you can do for your long-term financial security. Because Liz Truss is going to receive an allowance of 115,000 pounds each year. That's $129,000 for the rest of her life. For the rest of her life. This woman has essentially won the lottery by, by, by being a disastrous prime minister for 40-something days. She's going to get $129,000 a year. Now, this is the result of a government program in the U.K. that is intended to help former prime ministers recoup expenses incurred while serving the public. That certainly doesn't apply to her. But, um, she, you know, obviously with inflation being what it is in the U.K., she'll probably need another source of income in addition to that. But isn't that amazing? 45 days as prime minister, and she's going to earn $129,000 a year for life? I find that staggering. And I know if you're president for a day, you get to enjoy secret service protection for the rest of your life. And I think you get to enjoy uh, a staff for the rest of your life. I don't know if you're president of the United States for one day, and I'll have to look this up, if you're able to get a a, a presidential pension for the rest of your life. I, I think the pension rules are a little bit different. I don't think it's a flat rate of, say, $129,000 a year for life as Liz Truss is getting. I think you do get something, but I think um, I, I don't think it's a flat rate like that. I'm, I'll look that up, but I, I found that absolutely amazing, which is why I feel a little bit better about kind of teasing her a little bit. 800-848-9222. But here's what's interesting. Now, the official reason that she is out is because she proposed this big tax cut plan while at the same time proposing to spend money on energy subsidies because the cost of energy is through the roof in the U.K. And I I said from the get-go, if you go back and listen, that this is going to be a big problem because when you are saying to the world, we're cutting taxes and, by the way, we're going to spend more money – while interest rates are going up, that means we're going to have to borrow money and spend more money to borrow that money. It's a recipe for disaster. Sure enough, the bond markets reacted poorly. The British pound uh, lo- lost so much of its value that it's um, not even not even as heavy as a pound anymore. What's lighter than a pound? It's an ounce. the The British pound became an ounce. That it took so much of, so much of a pounding. And um, that's the official reason, that her economic program, it generated a lot of discord for the conservative party and uh, her firing of a key member of her cabinet didn't go over well. So she was unpopular with the left for proposing this program and then she became unpopular for the with the right, one, because she was opposed to Brexit. She was a big remainer. And you heard Nigel Farage, uh, I think, on the Cats at Night show the other day, kind of lambasted her as one of the Remain politicians. And he's calling for a whole new uh, party. He doesn't even want the Conservative Party in place anymore. He thinks they need something new. And most of his successful political involvement has been in the third party sphere in Britain 
with first the uh, Independence Party and now the and then the Brexit Party, which did rename itself the uh, Reform UK. So it's not surprising to me that he's advocating for a third party option. So the official reason we know as to why she's gone. But it's funny. I've been reading a lot about this because I'm so interested in this story. And I didn't have as much time as I usually do on the weekend to read and, and prepare because I was I was tied up with my son. But some of the comments that I did see on social media from some very well-informed people think that there's something else here. That maybe the official reason that's being listed for her resignation is not the actual reason. Maybe it's not all about tax cuts and firings and losing political support. And they think maybe there's some other reason that she's resigned or some other reason that she was pushed out. Now, I could see that. I could see that. I, for instance, firmly believe that there was something that we didn't know about, we the public didn't know about, that led to Pope Benedict's resignation. And I think he was absolutely pushed out. I have never for a second bought this story of Pope Benedict was so ill, he was in such poor health that uh, he had to leave. He's still living. He's still li- He's probably in better shape than you are. Um, and I, so I've never bought that. So I do think there are all sorts of instances of leaders claiming, yeah, I'm leaving for this reason, when in actuality, it's that reason. So one question that I have for you is, why do you think she really left? Do you buy the official story or do you think there's something more here? 800-848-9222. Maybe it's a personal scandal. I'm not, I'm not trying to create a scandal, but I am trying to provide a platform for people that have ideas about why she left. Maybe it's political. I don't know. But the people that have been asking these, the, the, that question on social media – they're smart people that, that I've observed. And I think um, maybe there's something to that. 800-848-9222. Why did Liz Truss really leave? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. The other interesting thing about Liz Truss is how short her tenure was. The uh, the first guest on the uh, Andrew Cuomo podcast, which I have not listened to, but I will listen to the first episode, um, one, because I'm curious, two, because, um, well, 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 whatever, I'll, I'll spare you the reasons as to why I'm going to listen, but I am going to listen to it and give it an honest review, just as I did with Chris Cuomo's show when it first started. But Andrew Cuomo's first guest was Anthony Scaramucci. Anthony Scaramucci was the White House communications director for 11 days. Uh, the only president of the United States to have a shorter tenure than Liz Truss was William Henry Harrison, our um, uh, ninth president, I believe. And he served for, I think, 39 days or thereabouts. Can you think of anyone else in a high-profile role, doesn't have to be political, that has had a super short tenure? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I was I was trying to think of that. I was trying to make a short list. 
And uh, the first one that came to mind, obviously because I have very much baseball on the brain right now, was uh, Carlos Beltran as manager of the New York Mets. He was announced as manager of the New York Mets. I always thought that was a poor pick since he never managed a baseball team before. But um, he was announced as manager of the New York Mets, and then he was roped into that uh, Houston Astros scandal, the cheating scandal, and they fired him before he managed a single game. Now, that's a pretty short tenure. But other than that, I mean, I'm curious if there are any other examples of short tenures of people in uh, various, various capacities. The other one, the sports one, would be Bill Belichick. I was thinking that, too, yeah, yeah with the Jets. For right? a day. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, never even coached a game. But are there any other scenarios in radio, in television, in politics, in any kind of public role? of someone that had a super short tenure. And then the last thing that I'll ask about Liz Truss is the same thing I asked about Boris Johnson when they ran him out of town on a rail, which is if you're her and your reputation is in, in, in shambles, you're a national laughingstock, you're literally less respected than a head of lettuce. Where do you go from here in terms of making a comeback? Now, can she can she write a book? She, does she do a national speaking tour? Does she stay in the trenches of the conservative party as a backbencher and hope that the political tides shift as they did appear for Boris Johnson? It looks like Boris Johnson is out of that race for prime minister. It did look on Friday like he was poised to make a comeback. I was on uh, Sid Rosenberg's show on Friday. And I was talking a little bit about that. And it looked like Boris had some support for a comeback. It, it appears that's not the case now. But um, the fact that he was even being talked about three days ago after being publicly um, excoriated for his role in the uh, the COVID party scandal, it shows you, you know, how short the memory of the public is with certain things. So what advice would you give Liz Truss on making comebacks? So those are sort of my... Three questions as it relates to Liz Truss. One, why do you think she really left? Two, are there any other short tenures, uh, super short tenures, of public people that you could think of? We got William Henry Harrison. We got Carlos Beltran. We got Anthony Scaramucci. We got, courtesy of Matt Blaze, um, Bill Belichick. Who else? Super short, like laughably short, 11 days, 45 days, that kind of a thing. And uh, lastly, what advice would you give Liz Truss on making a a comeback, either a professional comeback, a political comeback? She clearly doesn't need the help making a financial comeback because uh, she scored the job of a lifetime with this uh, this $129,000 a year for life. And she's a young woman. I think she's in her, what is she, in her 40s, maybe her 50s? Well, she, by, I mean, all right. So I, I, whatever advice you have for her, that's the third part of my question. She's 47 years old. She could live for another 50 years making this kind of money. Oh, boy. 800-848-9222. You know, one, one other example, um, two other examples in politics now that I'm thinking about it. One is Dean Barkley. Dean Barkley was a senator from Minnesota. He was appointed after Paul Wellstone died. 
And uh, he served for he served from November 4th, 2002 to January of 2003. So he served November, December. He, he served for about two months, two months and a couple of days in the U.S. Senate. That's a short tenure. And then in New Jersey, uh, there's I, I interviewed a fellow that was the governor of New Jersey for a couple of days, basically. And he had been the I think his name is John Farmer. And uh, he had been I, when and when I had him on the radio, we were talking about September 11th because he was the I think the attorney general at that time. And I said, do I call you governor? And uh, he said, no, you could just call me John. So so um, that was a super short tenure. What else? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Simon in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah, Frankie. So I think I think Scott Scottamucci, right after he um, left his post, I think he was very successful with the Bitcoin cryptocurrency, and he got better and better. And I think she's going to do very well because there was really no scandal. They just couldn't do the job, and they left with um, dignity. They just quit. So when someone just you know, there's no scandal. They were not. They just said we can't. I cannot do it. And I think people respect that. You know, not, you know, not not everyone's going to be a winner, and I think she'll have a very long um, success rate down the road. So, what do you think she does next? Now she'll probably stay stay low. She'll probably be called for many many speeches all over because you know she made a statement. Um, you know, she, her name is the story went. You know, it's the biggest story around for now. But I think people just are, are going to respect her because she left with she did leave with dignity. And she, you know, sometimes you can't do the job. You just say, I can do it. And people like that. Yeah, fa- okay. fair enough, Simon. Thank you. You know, it's funny. I just looked up the governor of New Jersey that I was referring to, John Farmer. He was governor for one day. One day. So uh, that's a short tenure. So what else? 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to, well, let me, let me take a break. And then we'll continue with your comments in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. talking about is people that have had short tenures um our producer alex barnard uh sent me a note and this is this is this is he's exactly right about this shane gillis a comedian i remember when this happened was announced as part of the new 2018 saturday night live cast only to be fired four days later because old podcast clips of him doing jokes containing racial slurs surface that's a great example uh somebody else just emailed me 
about um, Pope John Paul I, 33 days as Pope. Now, that's a little bit different because Pope John Paul I didn't resign or get fired as um, the other people that we're talking about did. Uh, he or just, you know, have his term end naturally as Dean Barkley did and John Farmer did. He died. John Paul I died. He didn't choose to have a short tenure. And it was not as if the College of Cardinals went to him and said, you're out, Tom. You know, it's funny. Um, a lot of people believe that Pope John Paul I was actually killed. I did an interview a few years ago with um, Anthony Ramundi. This is maybe three years ago. Anthony Ramundi is a, a mobster. And he claims, and I have no idea if this is true or not, but it sounded convincing to me, he claims that he was part of a plot with some of the cardinals to murder the Pope, Pope John Paul I. This is sort of the, a little bit of the backstory, a little bit of the plot in The Godfather Part Three. You know, obviously, if you've seen it, you know what, what I'm talking about. But there's a lot of people that believe Pope John Paul I was killed. Let me play this for you. Why not? We're in sort of a mood where we're having some fun, where we're letting things go into unusual directions. I mean, not not that talking about the murder of a pope is exactly fun cocktail party conversation. But I thought this was interesting. This is Anthony Ramundi, a former enforcer with the Colombo crime family, talking about the role that he might have played in killing Pope John Paul I. Well, in 1975, when I came home from the service, my cousin Luigi Raimondi came to see me, and he was telling me that they had a thing with stocks, that they were counterfeiting stocks from the Vatican. They were selling them all over the United States. If I wanted to get in on it, I said, sure, why not? I mean, they're my cousins, why not? So he went back, and he sent me, about three days later, I got a box. There was, like I think, about $40 million worth of stock certificates in there. I had friends of mine on Wall Street that worked in commodities and also who worked with precious metals and everything. I gave them some of the stocks. I went to Jersey. I saw the old man, Rayo, who was the head of the mob in Jersey, and I gave him stocks to put on the Jersey market. I had another friend of mine, Carmine, in Chicago Mercantile, and I bought stocks over there. We, we were selling stocks all over the place. I mean, you name it, we sold it. So what happened? This guy, Pete Martell, who was the nephew to the old man Rayo. He went by the name of Pete Martell, Petey Matza, but his real name was Peter Rayo. He got arrested and he started ratting. So I got me and I got a couple of my guys that were with me and we went down to the airport, got tickets to go to Italy and jumped on the plane. See, back then you didn't have all the security you right. have now. You could just go down there, hey, give me three tickets for California, wherever she gave it to you, and you went. I called my cousin up. Now my cousin uh, Luigi had died. And my cousin, Paul Jacob Marcinkis, he was the head of the Vatican Bank. He picked this up, and he told us, you know, he said, what's going on? I told him, he put me in the Vatican Hotel, and he scattered everybody around. So I told him what happened. Make a long story short, the agents came down, we worked out a deal, stress if it's in the book, and I come back to the United States. Now, Pope John, Pope Paul VI, sly old fox that he was, he was in on it. Mm -hmm. He dies. Now Pope John Paul I comes in. Very nice guy as far as I can see. But one fatal mistake he did, he turned around and said, anybody who was involved in the swindle of the stocks, he says, 
I'm going to excommunicate them and defrock them and throw them out of Vatican City. See, in Vatican City, they can't touch you. Mm-hmm. They say the country in the country. And that was, in the words of Anthony Ramondi, the motivation for killing the Pope. He was going to clean house, excommunicate all these gangsters and all these cardinals that were in, in the stock scheme, and according to Ramundi, they murdered him. By the way, uh, my interview with Anthony Ramundi on the sep- on the podcast that I do, the Racket Report, is still the most downloaded edition of the Racket Report. If you have not yet heard the Racket Report, you can go back and listen to all of the episodes of the Racket Report. You should really subscribe to it. It's available on any podcast platform: Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, you name it, uh, iTunes, or which is an Apple product, or as Governor Andrew Cuomo was trying to advertise how people could find his podcast. You can download it on Apple. You can uh, <clears throat> download it on Apple. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's funny. I, I get that Andrew Cuomo's not really a, a big podcast listener, but what does that mean when he says, You can download it on Apple. You can download it on Apple. Apple is a company. Apple makes all sorts of products. They make iPhones, iPad, iMac, iBook, i this, i that. You can download it on... You can download it on Apple. (laughs) Again, I know what he means, and I suspect most people that have iTunes know what he means. But I'm just trying to picture, if I'm listening to... This interview with Andrew Cuomo, and I'm interested because he he did uh, again. I'll save it for when I do my review of his podcast. But he did make some interesting points about why people should listen to the podcast. I think he's delusional, and I don't know where he's been for the last twelve years if he thinks this is what his podcast is about and this is what he's about. But fine, okay. Uh, but I'm thinking, oh, okay, you know, I'm interested in downloading this podcast and figure he'll say, oh, you can get it on andrewcuomo.com or y- you could go, as I just said, to Spotify and type in Andrew Cuomo, uh, just the facts, ma'am, or whatever it's called. Or you go to, you know, Google Podcasts, type in Google, uh, you know, just Andrew Cuomo, just the facts, ma'am. But I'm listening to this interview and he says, oh, this is how people can get it. You can download it on Apple. <laughs> All right, uh, 800-848-9222. Talking about Liz Truss, your theory as to why she's really gone. Other short tenures in life, in line with a William Henry Harrison, a Pope John Paul I, a Carlos Beltran, an Anthony Scaramucci, a John Farmer, a Shane Gillis, 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank, my answer has three parts. First part is you're a little too quick to dismiss Carlos Beltran. He could have worked maybe some magic and put those bunch of losers in a winning position. You, you never know. You never got the chance, Frank. Well, I didn't, I didn't make the decision to fire him. The Mets ownership did. The Wilpons did. No, 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 but you, but you, you seem, you seem very happy about it. Well, I mean, I, I don't you know, know I, you know, I don't know that I was. I, I thought that um, it was an unusual pick to pick someone that's never managed a baseball team to manage the Mets. I, I, I am very happy with Buck Showalter as manager. Okay, all right, Frank. The second one is, uh, didn't we have a school transfer, uh, a chancellor that uh, 
you know, last more than a couple of days. Uh, I, I think it was under de Blasio. They hired the guy. There was so much controversy. They, they dumped him right away. Well, here's what happened. What happened there is uh, you're talking about the fellow uh, that uh, was in Miami, I believe, uh, uh, Alberto Carvalho. And what, what happened there was he was he was big in Miami, and then they announced that he was going to be the school's chancellor, and then essentially he went on television in Florida, if I remember the the history correctly, and announced, yeah, yeah, on February 28th, uh, Mayor de Blasio named him as the school's chancellor, and then the following day, you're right, he went on television and publicly refused the offer the uh, the next day. So, yeah, that's uh, the, he was the school's chancellor. I don't know that he ever officially got the job, but... Um, but yeah, I guess he was in in for all practical purposes the school's chancellor for a day. Yep, and uh, finally, uh, as it pertains to Liz Truss, what I would suggest to her is that she come to the United States and become a Democrat, because once you're a Democrat, it doesn't matter how much you screw up, people are still going to vote for you. Well, I mean, if you look at, if you look at Biden, I mean, it means like a walking cadaver. But yet. You ask all these guys, all these Democrats, they say, oh, if he runs again, I'll vote for him. Why would they want to vote for a guy that's so mentally challenged and not somebody else who can at least do the job? Yeah, well, thank you, Neil. Right, Um, A couple of things. One, if you've seen Democrats that have had real scandal, and Liz Truss, as far as we know, has not had any major real real scandal, like – you know, like a sex scandal or embezzling money or something along those lines – Democrats that in the United States that have had a major scandal and tried to make a comeback, they don't generally fare so well. You saw this with Anthony Weiner when he tried to run for mayor. You saw this with Elliot Spitzer when he tried to run for a controller. You've seen this with a number of other folks who've tried to make a comeback, and it doesn't work out so well. Republicans have been able to make a comeback. I mean, there are exceptions to that. You know, you can argue the Ted Kennedy, Chappaquiddick, come back uh what fits into that realm uh you could say that the joe biden plagiarism scandal that he was able to make a comeback for that but uh, i'm not sure that that's a realistic strategy and i think you're really just kind of trying to pick pick a uh, you know poke fun at uh, joe biden there but uh, I, I get what you mean i get what you mean 800-848-9222 larry is in israel hello larry Hi, can you hear me? I hear you perfectly, Larry. Are you you're in Israel as we speak? Yeah, I'm in Tel Aviv. I'm on a a jogging run. So I'm just I heard what you uh, were asking the audience. I'm a Canadian, and so I have a an answer to the short-lived heads of state. And that person is in the country north of you. Is what? Yeah. Okay. And right, who was that? Her name was Kim Campbell, and she was prime minister for about 60 days Oh, in, in, the, in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, Canadians, and I'm one of them, uh, like to be the champions of political correctness. So they thought, you know, in the 80s, there weren't too many women heads of state, so we're going to be you know, kind of the world leader. So we're going to put in a woman. 
Yeah, I think it was the 90s uh, that she was prime minister, and I just looked it up. She served for 132 days, and that, forget about it. Liz Truss, uh, she blows away Liz Truss's record. Hey, so what did Kim Campbell do after after, um, her 132 days of leadership? That's a good question. Um, I think what tends to happen in Canada to politicians – after something that happens is they just go into obscurity. Mm. So I have no idea. Not only that, I don't have any, I really don't care. And probably I would say 90% of Canadians really don't care. Yeah, and you know, it's because, funny. You, you know who did serve uh, for only uh, in the 80s for only 79 days as Canadian Prime Minister? John Turner, the right honorable John Turner, right. who just died actually not long ago. Y- yeah, so. That's right. And he was somebody that people respected. Kim Campbell got in because of her gender. All right. Well, that's your opinion, Larry. I'm sure well, others would disagree. Uh, do you have yeah, Israeli citizenship as well? No, no. We're here for about eight months. We're going back to Toronto in May. Okay. Well, I was just We're curious. So you, of, don't, uh, you don't have Israeli citizenship? No, no. No, I was just no, going to ask your opinion on the upcoming elections there, which uh, I think are going to oh. be pretty interesting. Hey, Larry, enjoy yeah. the rest of your trip. Well, I appreciate listen. you listening to our show while you're out there. Well, can I just say one thing? Go ahead. Give it a shot. Uh, I'm, lis- I'm listening to you. It's, I think, around 9 o'clock in the morning. It's, uh, I also listen to you when I'm back in Toronto, but you're on, you know, late in the early hours. So it's just great to be able to listen to you. And not have to stay up to three o'clock in the morning. Hey, uh, Larry, believe me, I'm surprised we don't have more listeners in the Middle East for exactly that reason. And thank you for the call. Enjoy your trip, and uh, I'll see you when you get back to North America. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. See, you know, I, that's such a good point, right? I guarantee you, there are a lot of American expats or Canadian expats living in Europe, living in the Middle East, and this has got to be a very reasonable time. So listen to it. We should be the, the number one show for American expats in Europe and in the Middle East and uh, all over Australia. We're a very reasonably timed show over there. 800-848-9222. So I said that I would be with Rachel away this past weekend. I said that I would be watching some horror movies. And I had intended to watch two, but we ended up having, I ended up having some friends over Saturday night, which turned out to be a big, uh, a big mistake. Not having them over because it was a lot of fun, but just being up that late, knowing that I had to be up that early on, on Sunday with Carmine. So Sunday was, that was a, t- a tough day. Um, but um, it, all, it all worked out. But Saturday, no, excuse me, Friday night, Home by myself, what do I do? I watched a horror movie, and since I've seen every other film in the franchise, I was eager to see the most recent edition of Halloween. Um, It's called Halloween Ends. It's the, uh, I've lost track of how many films are in the franchise. But it's the most recent incarnation of the Michael Myers saga. By now you know the Michael Myers story. The original Halloween from, I believe, 1982 uh, was terrific. I mean, a wonderful film. Very innovative. 
it, it sort of redefined the slasher film. It inspired every horror movie that came with it. And with only a few exceptions, most of the sequels to Halloween have been pretty awful. But they're the, the they're so campy that they are that they are good. So I ended up seeing on Friday night, Halloween ends. Here's a little bit of the, the trailer. It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. I was certain that I saw him watching me. You pretend like you moved on, but you're actually just obsessed with death. What are you going to do when Michael comes back for you? Because he is coming. But this time, something feels different. He's more dangerous. He killed my daughter. But tonight, I will kill him. Come and get me. So, um, I watched it. I I have to tell you. So, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, and uh, she says this is going to be her final time as Laurie Strode. Who who knows if that's true? This is supposedly the last one. If this is the last Halloween film, I was hoping for a better film, honestly. A better send-off, a better end to the genre. And uh, the film is, at best, okay. There are some, first of all, I didn't find it scary. Um, I did not find it fun. And if you're a horror movie and it's not scary and it's not fun, you kind of have two strikes against you before you're even at bat. Um, here's what I'll say for it. Jamie Lee Curtis uh, is phenomenal. The acting from almost everybody in the film, for a horror movie especially, the acting is very good. The soundtrack, the music selection in this film, five-star, wonderful music. That being said, um, and it starts with a pretty intriguing premise. I loved the beginning, and and I don't want to give anything away, but the beginning of the film is really horrifying, and it it has the potential to create a very interesting story. The rest of the film is just weird. It, it's just it. The film breaks its own rules repeatedly. The film makes no sense. The story makes no sense after the beginning, and essentially, it's just uh, the, the actions the characters are taking make no sense, and it's really um, a bunch of stabbing as you would expect in a slasher film, some weird metaphors, um, some more stabbing, some more soap opera stuff. Uh, It is very convoluted for a horror movie, for any movie. And um, as I said, it's uh, weird. I mean, it's it's not weird. It's, It's not fun and it's not scary. So if you're like me and you've seen every other Halloween film to date, I don't know how you don't see the last one. Um, but uh, if you're looking for a fun horror movie to see, uh, by the way, the first Halloween, I think I said it was from 1982. I just see here it's uh, 1978 was the first one. 
If you're looking for a fun horror movie to see around Halloween time, this is not it. I think you're uh, better off watching the film that this is a sequel to, which is also called Halloween. That's from four years ago. That was actually very good and a very clever reimagining of the franchise. So, or just rewatch the original Halloween. But uh, I thought this was uh, pretty weak. And if it is the last one, not how I would have liked to end the franchise. It's uh, very disappointing, personally. 800-848-9222. Russ is in North Carolina. Hello, Russ. Hey, Frankie. Hey, listen, man. Um, I didn't have any, I couldn't think of any, like, short-term people. But you, you kind of touched on comebacks. Sure. Like in politics and whatnot. And uh, Joe Gannum up in Bridgeport, you know, he was mayor, went to prison, got out, got reelected. He's still the mayor. Um, so there, there's one. That's a great one. Uh, that's and, a great uh, one. And I think everybody's favorite would be Marion Barry. No, 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 no. My fa- Marion Barry is a good one. But what? my favorite uh, political comeback is absolutely Buddy Cienci, the former mayor of Providence, Rhode Island. Well, you know, uh, yeah, that gives you know, you know makes Joe Gannum, I guess, look like uh, small potatoes or whatever. And um, the uh, the only short term thing was I did I did go on a date with this this woman named Roxanne once, and that mm. was that was very short term. <laughs> it was very very short term. So I, I can understand that, Russ. Hey, um, <laughs> that's, that's all I got. For, hey, what's up? No, no. Hey, so I have a theory about um, people's names in general, and women's names specifically, that you can, uh, you can, you know, basically people with similar names occasionally have similar characteristics, either personality-wise or, or, or even physically. And I'm just curious, I've known one or two Roxannes over the years, and they all fit, you know, kind of the same description. How would you characterize Roxanne? What did she look like? What did she act like? Um... She was, I mean, I was, I was living in the deep south at the time, and uh, she was, um, well, she was afraid to drive across bridges. Like, like I, I took her on a date, and we drove across the bridge. She started grabbing my door. I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm afraid to drive across bridges. I said, oh, you're psycho. And then the, the thing, the, the, the deal breaker for me was she was from the Atlanta area. And I said, oh, well, you know, tell me about where you're from. She's like, well, these people are moving in. And I knew what she meant, and I was like, "Okay, we're done." <laughs> what? What? What was? Was that a reference to racial people, or? Or? Yeah, yeah. Because uh-huh. I was familiar with the area she was talking about, and uh, she was from Clayton County, Georgia, and she was talking about black people. And I was like, "Well, you know, well, one, I don't think like that. I was never taught to think like that. And my best friend is a black guy, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to work." And uh, what did she look like? Um, she was decent. She was <clears throat> well. I mean, to be blunt, she was a little bigger than I normally oh, go for, okay. and she was blonde, and I'm I'm not into the blonde thing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, she's actually the only blonde I've ever dated. Oh, never mind. Wait a minute. I just thought of somebody else. But anyway, um, but uh, it's just not my thing, and I kind of did it as, I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but kind of did it as a favor. Yeah, hey, uh, uh, I, there are worse I, reasons to go out on a date, that's for sure, Russ. Yeah, and uh, but I knew, oh, oh man, I knew right off the bat. I was like, oh, well, I'm still going to have a good dinner, but sheesh, it was, uh, it was not good. I said, well, that's Th- definitely not for me. Hey, thanks, Russ. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. We have one, two, three, four, five, six open lines if you want to weigh in on anything we're discussing. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Actually, uh, this was actually the song that my wife Rachel and I danced to at our wedding for our first dance. Uh, so, uh, certainly has a special place in my heart. 800-848-9222. A lot, a lot to get to, believe it or not. And uh, we're going to do commendations at the top of the hour. But uh, John in Brooklyn has been very patiently holding. Let me give him an opportunity to be heard. Hello there, John. Hello, I'm going to see an old friend of ours make mention tonight at of a the fact event. that he Maliki went McCourt to Stuyvesant. with his old friend Kate Mulgrew. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm a big fan of both uh, Malachi McCourt and Kate Mulgrew. As you know, I, I am in touch with Malachi pretty frequently, but uh, please tell him hello. And tell uh, Kate Mulgrew, if you speak with her, that we'd definitely like to get her back on this show. I, I certainly will. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I, I'm going to try to keep this short. I have a lot to say uh, it's interesting that Truss's John is successor of keeping is short. likely to be the candidate who was the leading candidate before she jumped into mm-hmm. the race, mm-hmm. the former ex-checker. And he's going to be the first non-first uh, British prime minister of non-British ancestry, which, which, which will be interesting, of Indian ancestry, mm-hmm. if my memory is right. As for your uh, first question, uh, uh, your first comment, the first hour, you know, the left will like the First Amendment as long as it applies to them and not to anyone else. And uh, I I think what Hobart, those Hobart editors did was absolutely ridiculous. But it also brings me back to that panel I had mentioned to you a few weeks ago at the Brooklyn Book Festival, the one about abolishing police and prisons. At the start of the panel, the moderator, a literary agent and writer, no less, said that if you're a troll, you're not allowed to ask any questions during the Q&A. If you're a troll? If you disagree with the panel, right. If you disagree with the panel with what we're saying, we're not going to accept questions from you. Can you believe that? Well, unfortunately, I can. Unfortunately, this is kind of where we are these days, John. But it's a shame. So, all right, John. All right, take care. Have Thank a good you. night. You know, John clearly was in the mood to make me look bad today because that has got to be the first time he's ever called this show and not mentioned that he went to Stuyvesant. And of course, I went and predicted he was going to say that he went to Stuyvesant. And all, all, of, a sudden, all of a sudden, if you're tuning into the show for the first time, I look like a jerk. One, because I didn't go to Stuyvesant, couldn't get in, took the test, didn't get in. And uh, two, 
because I'm making these inaccurate predictions. So there you have it. I was going to bet on Brooklyn Book Festival. I should have. Yeah, you know, that's that's his other big one, Brooklyn Book Festival. Those are the two, Brooklyn Book Festival and Stuyvesant. I, I, you sh- you're right. You should have said something. There you have it. 800-848-9222. Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello, Ralph. Okay, funny that you mentioned Stuyvesant because that's the street I live in uh, when I was still living in Irvington. Stuyvesant Avenue. Okay. Uh, Okay. So that said, uh, that's uh, McGreevy count as a a short-term governor. He he did not finish the full term. Yeah, yeah. Well, but still, I mean, he still was there for a couple of years, right? So when we talk in a couple of years, that's different from 11 days, 45 days, a month, two months. Um, You know, somebody else just sent me a couple of other examples of General Michael Flynn, for instance, as a national security advisor. That's a short term, a short tenured position. Chris Wallace on CNN Plus, that's a short tenured position. Uh, okay, about the, the, the factor that pulls uh, listras out, uh, can you uh, think about the, the China influence being part of it, Frankie? Because you know, of the hardline uh, position uh, that he has uh, he had taken. It's very uh, interesting. China, very very interesting. So basically, and thanks, Ralph. So basically, Ralph is saying, and that's not the craziest idea that I've heard. She, He's saying, look, she was very bullish. Uh, she was very hawkish when it came to China, and China's got a lot of influence on the international economy right now, good or bad. And maybe it was the Chinese influence that kind of pushed her over the edge. Uh, you know, as far as Ralph comments goes, that is not the worst theory that I've heard. Commendations coming up in a moment. Well, more like five minutes. Commendations coming up in five minutes and more of your calls. No guests today, so it's just you and me. You're responsible for providing the entertainment and the information as much as I am. So give me a call, 800-848-9222. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. appreciate you listening to our program and uh, value your contributions to it. Now, uh, without further ado, a lot of people look forward to this portion of the show the entire week. A lot of people say this gets them through the weekend. They say, Frank, I have such a tough time on Mondays. But then you come through and lift my spirits with... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must begin uh, by giving a commendation to Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Fairfax, Virginia. The U.S. News and World Report rankings for best 
high schools in America are out. I hold them in my hand. And sure enough, they have evaluated more than 17,800 schools at the national, state, and local level. And in this year's edition, the highest-ranked schools are found throughout the country. The top 15 schools are from 14 states, and the methodology focuses on six factors, college readiness, reading and math proficiency, uh, reading and math performance, underserved student performance, college curriculum breadth and graduation rates, college readiness specifically measures participation and performance on advanced placement. Um, And sure enough, the highest ranking school in the entire country is Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. So congratulations to them. Um, Interestingly enough, you know, they have different categories of schools. So I want to give an honorable mention to a school in the Northeast. The number two school for best STEM high school is High Technology High School in New Jersey. You know what the number one high school for best STEM high school was? The Davidson Academy of Nevada. So congratulations uh, to all the schools, but especially Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Fairfax. I have to give a commendation to prunes. Yes, prunes, the fruit, the dried fruit. Lo and behold, new data shows, new study, a randomized control study finds that eating five to six prunes a day can preserve bone mass and density, arresting the development of osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is no joke. Osteoporosis, which is basically loss of bone mass and bone density, it afflicts afflicts many people, especially people over the age of 50, and it leads to an increased risk of getting your broken bones, fractured bones. And how often do you hear of someone in their 80s, their 90s, and it all starts going downhill for them when they have a fall? And part of the reason for that is because of the lack of bone density from osteoporosis. Well, these researchers, in a second study, found that a loss of bone health is associated with inflammatory processes in the body. And prunes are known to be anti-inflammatory. So if you are getting up, if you're over the age of 50, really, and you are looking to avoid osteoporosis... Eat five to six prunes today and every day, and that should do it. You know, they say um, apple a day keeps the doctor away. That might be true. Five or six prunes a day keeps osteoporosis at bay. That's the new phrase that everyone's going to be parroting in the media. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on that. But I have to give a commendation to prunes. I saw a, a great story on Channel 11 this weekend in New York all about Sharon Richardson and she's a a chef and she has made it her mission to help feed the hungry in her community and I think that's very admirable but um, I love what she's doing in terms of the people that she's hiring 
she's hiring only formerly incarcerated women. So I think this is great. There are so many women that come out of prison and they find their prospects for getting a job seriously limited. And here Sharon Richardson is going out of her way to target only formerly incarcerated women. I think this is great. And now an angel investor has paid for her to get a new headquarters and a kitchen in Dumbo, very hoity-toity part of Brooklyn, and she's hiring a whole new team of women, formerly incarcerated women, as part of her ongoing efforts to help these formerly incarcerated women get back on their feet. I think this is great. And she she herself got out of prison 12 years ago, and I'm glad to see that she's doing so well. Apparently, the food is delicious. Her, I haven't tried it, but the mac and cheese is supposedly to die for. The fried fish is supposed to be great. And uh, she is feeding hungry people and giving very needy people jobs as well. So I think she's doing wonderfully. I want to give a commendation as well to my friend and a frequent contributor to this show, E. O'Brien Murray, or as we call him, O.B. Murray. Now, there's a lot to like about O.B. He calls in from time to time and will give um, a lot of great insight on the show. And uh, he's been kind enough to join me in studio from time to time. But um, he, and, you know, I like that he keeps Alex Barnard on his toes because he's always very proactive in his thinking about different things that we could do promotion-wise, content-wise. And I think he does make Alex Barnard feel a little bit guilty for not doing more as the producer of the program. And, and, I, and I think that's good. I think that's healthy. We always want Alex thinking, not what can your radio show do for you, but what can you do for your radio show? But anyway, uh, I want to commend Obi because Obi made the trip all the way out to my residence Saturday evening. Because as I said, I had a couple of people over Saturday night, stayed up way too late. But um, he not only came out to Staten Island, which is quite a hike from where he lives, but brought a few Cuban cigars, which we which we enjoyed, and this incredible Portuguese liquor. I don't even know what this was, but I'll tell you, this, uh, this definitely complemented the flavor of the cigars. But he also brought a whole toolkit of computer so- supplies. Now, I have so far been unable to fix my PC. I'll... Maybe I'll update you on that later. But he basically brought a mini um, Geek Squad kit. And there's all sorts of tools in there and and it's stuff that's going to come in quite handy, I think, uh, if we are able to get this computer fixed, if not in the future. Uh, So big thank you to O.B. Murray and a commendation for his generosity, not only in time, but in actual, actual material things. I want to commend this... The staff at Noka Ramen in Oakland, California, they did something fun on Friday evening. They dressed up as Power Rangers. That's fun, but that's not why they're being commended. It's just so funny that they were dressed as Power Rangers when this when this occurred. So they were so serving up in their Power Rangers outfits cocktails and bowls of noodles. But then a woman runs into the restaurant pleading for help. And these superheroes, these restaurant staffers dressed as superheroes, they snap into action. Uh, They 
chased uh, the, a man was chasing the woman into the restaurant and he put her in a chokehold. And so the yellow Power Ranger intervened, telling the man to leave, at which point he swung at them. The guy that was chasing the woman and put her in the, throat, the chokehold swung at the Power Ranger. The yellow Ranger blocked the punch as the distressed woman was told to hide in the kitchen. The man yelled all sorts of anti-Asian slurs before trying to dash into the kitchen behind her. Then the Yellow Ranger grabs him by the collar, drags him out of the restaurant while the man kicked and threw punches. The patrons were shaking. They were scared. Some of them were crying. And uh, the Pink Power Ranger told all the customers that were in the restaurant the food was free. They gave everybody food for free. The man who was chasing that woman was eventually taken into custody. Apparently, this is some sort of a domestic dispute that involved a man physically assaulting a woman, but it's still under investigation. But I give this restaurant staff an enormous amount of credit and a formal commendation for a few reasons. One, I love that. I love having fun, right? Uh, so great to dress as a power, uh, have the whole staff dress as Power Rangers. It's kind of cool. Two, they don't know what the story is with this guy. He's chasing a woman. He's putting her in a chokehold. He could have been armed. He could have had a knife or something. This staff rushed in to help a total stranger, a woman they didn't know. They hid her and they restrained this guy while he's throwing punches at them. They didn't have to do that. These guys went above and beyond. And then on top of that, to give all the patrons their food for free? I mean, this is a if this isn't a restaurant worthy of commendation, I don't know what is. If you're ever in Oakland, California, be sure to check out Noka Ramen. I know I will. I want to commend njweedman.com. It was once a nickname. It was once a marketing gimmick that morphed into a battle cry for marijuana legalization in New Jersey. But for 20 years, Ed Fortune has tried to change his name legally to NJWeedMan.com. Well, four days ago, that change took place officially. A 20-year journey came to an end, much to the surprise of NJWeedMan.com, when a Mercer County judge finally signed off on his petition. uh, Fortune's website, or the Weedman formerly known as Fortune, uh, the Weedman formerly known as Fortune's website, which has not been updated in quite some time, is now his legal name. This guy is 58 years old. He has spent 20 years on this. He told the Philadelphia Inquirer, honestly, I just don't like losing. It always bothered me. Now, this guy is a longtime marijuana legalization activist, and um, he has been trying for this for years. He's been protesting marijuana laws in Trenton for years. After spending 17 months in prison in the 90s, He purchased this website in 1998. Weedman.com was available, but it was $100, and he didn't have it. So the the quest for the name change began in 2001. NJWeedman.com said law enforcement groups opposed his petition, claiming it would set a bad precedent. He was defeated, then turned away in the state's appellate court. Weedman tried again in California, 
where he had moved to open a Rastafarian temple and was denied in 2011. Domain names, the court argued, don't last forever. NJWeedman.com said his latest push for the name change came from a slew of fake social media profiles being opened under his name. And uh, ultimately, he won. I give this guy credit not for his advocacy on marijuana, but whatever. If that's his bag, God bless him. I give him credit for picking out a goal, sticking with this goal, and not giving up until he achieves it. And I know this may sound silly, but I think NJWeedman.com is a real role model for all of us. How often do you come upon a stumbling block in your own life and just choose to give up? Too tough, too time-consuming, too costly, too annoying, not worth the time and effort. I think this is, again, I'm not, people are going to think I'm being tongue-in-cheek. I'm not. I think this is really inspirational. This is, to me, a perfect example showing you can fight City Hall and win. So, njweedman.com, God bless you. I do commend you. And I must commend the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. Both of them are going to the World Series I, um, you know, I feel bad for a lot of the Yankee fans. I have a lot of friends and a lot of family that are Yankee fans, and I I, I feel your pain. But uh, this is going to be an exciting World Series. Both of these teams have played well throughout the playoffs, and I especially have to recognize the the Astros because if you do, you know what what team in baseball has the highest payroll? The New York Mets. Do you know what team has the second highest payroll? The Los Angeles Dodgers. Both of them made the playoffs. They they both had good seasons. Both won over 100 games. Dodgers were the best team in baseball this year. The team with the third highest payroll, the New York Yankees. They are all out of it. Um, Then you have to go to the ninth highest payroll before you get to the Astros. So even though the Astros are spending less on payroll than the Braves, the White Sox, the Red Sox, the Padres, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Mets, even though they're spending less, they still have managed to make it to the World Series. So I am a National League fan. I will in all likelihood be sticking with my league. However, um, because the Astros were a National League team for so long, I do still have a soft spot for them. So I I never really viewed them as an American League team. Now that both leagues have the DH, I do think these distinctions between American League and National League have diminished a little bit. But you still have to have a loyalty to your league, I think. Uh, Maybe we'll talk more about this tomorrow. But I give the Astros and Phillies a lot of credit. The other reason why I'm possibly reluctant to root for the Phillies is because, as I've explained before, the most accurate indicator of a forthcoming recession is a Philadelphia baseball team winning the World Series. Every time a Philly baseball team wins the World Series, there is economic cataclysm the following year. Do we really want that? I don't know. Maybe the two are linked, maybe they're not. Maybe it's a coincidence. But for it to happen one, two, three, four, five times, uh, I'm not so sure. So we'll see. Uh, but the point is, you don't get to the World Series with by being lucky. You get to the World Series 
by being good and playing hard. And both of these teams, as far as I'm concerned, deserve a lot of credit for how far they have gotten. I want to commend the mayor of Poughkeepsie, New York, Rob Pollison, along with a good Samaritan who helped get residents out of a smoke-filled building. Here's what happened. Sunday morning, the mayor of Poughkeepsie, Rob Pollison, helped evacuate the residents of two apartments in a structure that was filling with smoke. His efforts were aided by a good Samaritan who called 911 to report the fire alarm that could be heard from hundreds of feet away. Um, Stacy Potick was walking home on Delafield Street on Sunday morning with her mom. The woman, women had just been at a neighborhood bakery. As they walked south on Delafield Street, the two heard a very loud smoke-slash-fire alarm going off. As they approached, they determined it was coming from a duplex. So Stacy Potick called 911 just before 10 a.m. to report the possible fire. And then she saw the mayor running into the burning building. The mayor said he knocked on the door to the first floor apartment and there was no response at first. When he knocked again, he was greeted by a young girl. He said he explained the situation and the girl went to get her father. The mayor then removed them from the building and went back in to alert the second floor tenants. This is my kind of mayor. I love this. And I think this is real heroics, unlike Cory Booker-style heroics, which I think are usually a lot of theater. But um, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad the mayor was so on top of things here. And uh, good for Stacey Potick. I'm glad she called 911 as well. And finally, pit bulls often get a bad rap. And we've done the topic many times before. Should pit bulls be banned, yada, yada, yada? Well... There's a pit bull named Athena who deserves a sincere commendation. Just ask a little chihuahua by the name of Palma. The other day, Palma was hanging out with his dog siblings at home in Brazil. When one tiny mistake almost led to a huge disaster. While sniffing around by his family's pool... Palma, the chihuahua, slipped and fell into the water. He paddled with his little paws the best that he could, but it soon became clear that he was not able to get out on his own. This dog was going to drown. This tiny little chihuahua was going to drown. And then a hero emerged. Palma's pit bull pal, Athena. This is on video. You can see it on video. You, or maybe I'll, I'm going to tweet it. You can find, find it on my Twitter, at Frank Morano. And um, Athena saved the day. The dog's owners were at home at the time. They ran outside after they heard the splashing, only to discover Athena had rescued Palma already. The pit bull went into the water and pulled out the chihuahua and saved the chihuahua from drowning. So... Um, the dog, the, the chihuahua, Palma, was startled, but she was unhurt. And uh, thank goodness both dogs were okay. Apparently, Athena, a pit bull, and I love highlighting positive pit bull stories as well, is has a loving and protective instinct. And in that case, this instinct averted tragedy. So I am very pleased to see that. All right. Um, 
If you want to comment on anyone that I have commended, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. You're welcome to comment on anything else that we've uh, covered thus far as well. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. So today is October 24th. Um, I requested this song on July 26th. Now, there was some reason that I requested it. It was tied to some story in the news or there was something going on with respect to Outcast. Maybe it was uh, Andre 3000's birthday or something. But sure enough, whatever reason I did request this in uh, July 26th, I have no idea. So I have no um, no understanding, no recollection as to why I wanted to play this, but uh, I did. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Hey, I wanted to bring this to your attention. I am all for the right to protest, okay? Uh, I am all about it. What kills me is when protests turn to vandalism like the people that tried to deface that beautiful Vincent van Gogh painting last week. I don't know what point you're making. And what kills me is that when the people carrying out these protests act as if they are entitled to special privileges. And that was the case with some climate change protesters, some eco-protesters, in uh, who were protesting Volkswagen. So we see a lot of uh, the eco-protesters were, they were the same group that uh, threw, threw stuff at uh, the Van Gogh painting. They threw uh, soup at this iconic painting of sunflowers. They glued their hands to the frame. They were dumping milk jug after milk jug into the aisles to protest milk drinking. The protesters are actually pretty articulate and compelling. Even one of the Van Gogh girls, I disagreed with her, but, you know, she made a good case. They're also funny, okay? After a group this week glued themselves to the floor of a Volkswagen facility, they... (laughs) I can't even believe that I'm about to say this. They got upset that Volkswagen wouldn't help them out. Understand. They were at Volkswagen protesting. They glued themselves to the floor at Volkswagen. And then they wrote this. This was in Europe. Um, 
Volks, this is a quote from the people that glued themselves to the Volkswagen facility. Volkswagen told us that they supported our right to protest. <laughs> but this is serious. This is not The Onion. This is not satire. But they refused our request to provide us with a bowl to urinate and defecate in a decent manner while we are glued. And they've turned off the heating. What planet am I on? What? The protesters glued themselves to the floor. And then they're taking issue with the company that they're protesting by saying they should have given them a bucket to urinate in and defecate in? I mean, you talk about a group of protesters with some onions. This is crazy. Where do these guys get the gumption? Or as Uncle Junior would say, where do these guys get the effrontery? Huh. Uh, this is uh, this is Gianluca Grimaldi, no relation to the pizzeria, who was on Twitter talking about this Volkswagen protest. I'm Gianluca Grimalda. I'm a researcher in social psychology at a research institute in Germany. And I'm here in the Porsche Pavilion in the Autostadt of Wolfsburg to denounce the responsibility of Volkswagen in the climate emergency that we are facing. So there you have it. If uh, there's a group of eco-protesters that protests at your business or your home... I think you ought to do the right thing and provide them with a bucket so that they can uh, defecate and urinate. You know, it's funny. um, Roger Ailes, who obviously is, um, given how he exited Fox News, is not exactly held in the highest regard. He just doesn't have the best reputation. But the thing that um, was not reflected in the recent Roger Ailes movie and the recent Roger Ailes television show is how funny he was. And one of the things Roger Ailes did is maybe 20 years ago or so, maybe more, there was a bunch of people protesting at Fox News, right in front of Fox News, outside. And then it started raining, and Roger Ailes sent, the, sent out umbrellas to the protesters. But the umbrellas were emblazoned with the Fox News Channel logo. So whenever there was coverage, TV coverage, of these protesters, they were using their umbrellas in the rain, and they were essentially providing a giant ad to uh, to Fox News. Maybe that's what Volkswagen should have done, provide buckets emblazoned with the Volkswagen logo, right, or, or some sort of Volkswagen brand. I am uh, just... Amazed. Amazed. I don't understand it. If you protest somewhere, call me crazy. But uh, if you're going to glue yourself somewhere, I think the responsibility for buckets for your bathroom needs is on you. Not on Volkswagen. You don't show up somewhere and because they don't have a bucket for you, you complain. Come on. I mean, am I missing something here? Tell me. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. You can also find me on Twitter 
at Frank Morano. That's uh, Frank M O R A N O. Apparently, I I had forgotten that I even tweeted anything about this, but I tweeted something mentioning Netanyahu the other day, and one of our great listeners, Johnny Ants, uh, pointed out that I had tagged a parody account, not the real Netanyahu. So there you go. My apologies to the real Benjamin Netanyahu, and we're wishing you the best of luck with your book and uh, the upcoming election as well. 800-848-9222. Jay is in the Poconos. Hello, Jay. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Hey, uh, so years ago, we took my dad to Germany. My dad was a German guy. He came, came off the boat here in, like, 52. We took him there for his 75th birthday to see his sister and we ended up going to the Volkswagen plant in Wolfsburg, Germany. And you went there to, the to protest? No, no. No, okay. But it, um, we we went on a tour, and and uh, they had, like, a cafe there, and we all had lunch. And there was a group of, I don't know, eight of us. And on the door, on the way into the place, it says, American Express accepted here. And he goes to pay the bill, and they wouldn't take his American Express traveler's checks. This is, this is, you know, 20-some years ago. Sure. And, I mean, he got into, a like, a major argument with the people, and he just insisted that, you know, a manager come, and I'm like, oh, my God, we're all going to get arrested here. He's, like, yelling at him in German, and says, I, I bet if I was going to buy a car here, you would take my money, so I'm not <laughs> paying any other way. So he finally got his way, but it was... Why were they, especially if it said American Express uh, accepted here, why were they giving him such a hard time about those traveler's checks? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Indeed, that's the point he was making. They, they, a lot of the transaction went on in German, and I don't understand uh. every bit of German. Now, so, at, uh, at the very least, while you guys were protesting their handling of the American Express situation— did the Volkswagen people at least give you guys some buckets to defecate in? No, we didn't need them. We uh, uh, actually okay. used the restroom like civilized humans. Well, imagine that, Jay. Imagine that. <laughs> Jay. But it was a cool place. It was a lot of history there, and it was a neat place to go. Well, thank you, Jay. I appreciate you sharing that, and I'm glad uh, that you were able to get that resolved. Thank you. 800-848-9222. So... I mentioned that Friday was uh, Back to the Future Day, and I am a uh, a big fan of the motion picture franchise Back to the Future. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious <laughs> So um, Back to the Future Day is has been celebrated on October 21st, because that's the day that um, Doc Brown, Marty, and Jennifer go into the future to the year 2015, I believe. They went to October 21st, 2015. So that's been a big holiday uh, really ever since 2015. It is interesting to watch that picture now, Back to the Future Part 2, which I think is probably my favorite of the franchise. But um, it is interesting to watch that picture now and see what they got right about their predictions of 21st century America and what they got wrong. Some things are wildly off. Some things are actually pretty close. But um, so October 21st, Friday, was Back to the Future Day. 
where everybody talks about the movie and celebrates the movie. You know what Saturday was? Saturday was Christopher Lloyd's birthday. And uh, Christopher Lloyd is in a, um, he's 84, still looks good. He is in, um, he was in two movies last year that I saw, which were very good. One is called The Tender Bar, and another one was a movie with William Shatner, and obviously anything with William Shatner I love, called Senior Moment. I think he was great in both. And uh, Christopher Lloyd is, he's one of those quirky guys, and I've been a big fan of Christopher Lloyd ever since Taxi. But he was great in Star Trek Three. You know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? And, and this is really getting into heavy-duty nerd land, right? So Christopher Lloyd plays a Klingon commander in Star Trek Three, Commander Krug. And then I don't want to give anything away from Star Trek Three because that's a classic film. It's underrated as far as I'm concerned. But Captain Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise... They end up taking that vehicle over, that spaceship over, that Klingon bird of prey. What do they then do with that bird of prey? They travel through time. How interesting is it that uh, Christopher Lloyd, the guy so many people know well for playing Doc Brown, he commands a ship that's then used as a time machine. Now, that's wild. But, um, by the way, and you know, something, it's been reported and I think this is even on the DVD of Back to the Future, it's been reported that the role of Doc Brown was supposed to go to either Charles Grodin or my friend Joe Piscopo. And I asked Joe about that because it is out there. It's on the DVD and it's it's been written about. And Joe said he didn't remember that. So I don't know if uh, maybe that's not true or Joe said he said it's probably true. He said he was getting so many offers back then for movies and TV shows and that he made all the wrong decisions <laughs> in terms of turning stuff down. So he said it's probably true, but he didn't remember it. So do you know what is hopefully going to be in place next year for Back to the Future Day? Well. I am hoping, and I'm pretty excited about this, I have to be honest, that the new Broadway musical, Back to the Future, will be here in time for next year's Back to the Future Day. So there is a musical, this is for real, there's a musical adaptation of the hit 1985 film, Back to the Future, and it is planning to open on Broadway next summer. So uh, they made this announcement on Friday, on Back to the Future Day. It's currently showing in London. And this musical has a creative team that combines veterans of the film with some Broadway stalwarts. It's apparently doing really well in Britain. If only uh, Liz Truss could have gotten access to that DeLorean and not come out with that tax package, maybe she'd still be Prime Minister today. But um, it's been... The show, it played at the Manchester Opera House. It then transferred to London last fall. It's had a lot of good luck there. It won this year's Olivier Award for Best New Musical. It's still running at the Adelphi Theater. I have to tell you, I am 100% going to get tickets to this to this show. And uh, the cast has gotten great reviews. It's the musical is scheduled to begin performances June 30th 
and uh, to open on August 3rd at the Winter Garden Theater. I can't wait for this. I think this is going to be great. I think it's going to be really Whoa, a lot of fun. Heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? <laughs> Uh, uh, so one of the people involved, I believe it's the director of the play, said that the creative team has been making tweaks to the script and the set as it prepares for this Broadway run. They're incorporating lessons from the productions in England, and they're small changes, but apparently these little things add up. Quote, one thing people appreciate about the movie, the more they watch, the more details they see. So there's a lot of fun theories about Back to the Future, but um, I love it. I love all three films. And you know what? It was actually a short-lived animated series as well. And I actually really enjoyed that animated series as well. I mean, you know, it's obviously a very different market than the films that was mostly for kids. But I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. Um, One of the interesting theories about Back to the Future is that Marty McFly, who's, you know, Michael J. Fox's character... Marty McFly's parents might have known he was a time travel tra- traveler. So they say the biggest mystery of Back to the Future is why did George and Lorraine, Marty's parents, fail to notice that their grown son, Marty, bore such a striking resemblance to the man they knew as Calvin Klein. Now, this was satirized on Family Guy. Because uh, George, I mean, what are you going to think if your son looks exactly like a guy that your wife had a crush on in high school? I mean, as as is expressed in this Family Guy clip, you would think that this is going to raise some questions about his paternity. But this theory is that um, it's been offered by a lot of people. George and Lorraine did recognize him. And and according to this one theory, they had 30 years to figure it out. Crucially, George heard Calvin using the names of Darth Vader, a film that had not come out yet in 1955, and the Vulcan race from Star Trek years before they materialized. A fact that any science fiction author like George would have picked up on. And a scene late in the film where Marty's parents give him a brand new truck and offer a knowing smile could be read as a thank you for his efforts. Now, Bob Gale, who's the screenwriter of Back to the Future, and he's involved in this new musical as well, he explained, he he thinks this theory is bupkis. And look, you have to give his opinion some credibility because he wrote the movie. He says that the parents did not make the connection. He said it was a simple case of Marty's parents not recognizing the man they had spent just a few days with 30 years prior. Quote, I would ask anyone to think back to their own high school days and ask themselves how well they remember a kid who might have been at their school for even a semester or someone you went out with just one time if you had no photo reference. After 25 years, you'd probably just have a hazy recollection. One of the other darker theories, and this is the last one I'll mention, and then we'll move on. I mean, you can call in if you want, 800-848-9222. But one of the darker theories is that Doc Brown was suicidal. While testing his DeLorean in the mall parking lot, 
Doc Brown steps directly in front of the car traveling at 88 miles per hour. The only way he wouldn't be crushed is if his experiment succeeded and the car vanishes. Yet Doc Brown makes no mention, makes mention of his other experiments being disappointing. Remember all those failed experiments he mentions? Now, given his lack of confidence in his own abilities, standing in front of the car could be a death wish. So when asked about this theory by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Christopher Lloyd, who you have to give some deference to because he helped create that character of Doc Brown, he said the same thing that Bob Gale said about the first theory. He said that's Bupkis. He said, I don't think so. He said because Doc had so much confidence in what he was doing, he didn't worry about that. Maybe a little doubtful, but Doc didn't have a grim nature. However, Christopher Lloyd did add that you've given me a lot to think about, though. Hmm. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. the great music that's going to be in this musical because the film has great great music like you know obviously uh huey lewis and uh, and the news um it's just terrific so anyway you know what i understand so here's what I, where we're at my laptop computer will turn on but not um not do anything it won't boot and so this is a laptop that was that is owned by my former employer now i was i was able to keep using it because i was still contributing to the cats at night show which airs on that employer so even though i haven't really worked at that radio station for over 2 years now I have still been using one of these laptops. So it's created kind of an awkward situation, especially because a couple of months ago they said, all right, now we kind of realize you don't work here anymore. You have to give this computer back. But I, I just kind of held on to it, and now it's not working. So it becomes very difficult for me to reach out to tech, tech support because, as Kramer said when he was fired for a job that he just started showing up at. I don't even really work here. That's right. So how do I turn to the good folks at uh, – my former employer tech support and said, hey, by the way, I really need your help fixing this computer. Now, my my frustration is twofold. One, I do like having a dedicated laptop that I could use just for this show, for research, for writing, for making notes, for saving things. 
And I have a laptop that this radio station gave me, but I prefer to use that, and that's what I'm using right now, but I prefer to use that just for connecting to the radio station and not fill it with all sorts of other documents, not overly use it on the Internet. I like to use it for one thing, which is when I need to go on air, just to use that. So anyway, um, a lot of people reached out and were very helpful in terms of suggestions for how to deal with this laptop, because I do have some data on this, some documents that I'd like to get off. Nothing major, because I do back up the data on my computer maybe once a month or so, so I have everything beyond a month ago. But there's still some documents on there that I could use, not just show-related, but other stuff, a lot of good stuff on there that I would love to have access to. So perfect scenario is the computer I can get it working again. Next best scenario is I can get the data off of it, but then I still have to figure out what I'm going to do in terms of a laptop. So uh, one fellow who's a computer expert reached out to me and said that I can get this same model of computer on eBay, even like a refurbished version, for just a couple of hundred dollars. It's not going to cost me $2,000, which is what I feared. So I'm going to look at that option if I do need to get a new computer. I am going to today email um, my old employer's tech people and... Um, the folks here at our station, they've been really willing to help get this laptop working. So O.B. Murray brought a collection of little screwdrivers over on Saturday night. So Sunday night, I was trying to fix this computer myself. And it was one of those things. As soon as I unscrewed it and I have access to the guts of this computer and the motherboard of this computer, I realize that I have no idea what I'm doing. And just watching a YouTube video about what's what on this computer, it doesn't really make me an expert. It was so much so my wife went out for a couple of errands and that she comes home and she sees me with this open computer on the kitchen table trying to unscrew things and this and that, and she just says, uh-oh. That's all she says, uh-oh. She says, she said, isn't that a little above your pay grade? I said, yes, yes, it probably is. And sure enough, it started going poorly almost immediately. So there's six little screws that you have to unscrew to get inside this computer. So I unscrew them. Unfortunately, one of these tiny little screws, and these are really small screws, one of these little screws falls inside the computer itself. So one, I left, I lost the screw, and two, it's now trapped in the computer. So I said, okay, that's no big deal. I can fix that. What do you do? You hold up the computer and shake it in the hopes that that loose screw will come out. Well, unfortunately, the loose screw did not come out. But something that looks like a little camera lens, that came out. And for the life of me, I can't figure out what this thing was. So I try to disconnect the battery. I'm not sure if I'm, I was successful on that. I try to disconnect the hard drive, which apparently on these laptops they now call an SSD. So I try to disconnect the SSD. I can't figure out how to disconnect. I'm, I watch every YouTube video that's out there on it. Please, no need to send more because I've watched them all. I try to disconnect this SSD. Can't do it. And then I said, well, wait a minute. Maybe this, it's just loose. And maybe this connection that's loose is just loose. Maybe that'll work. So I, I say, yeah, let me try and reconnect that. I screw the thing back on. I try to turn the computer on. And sure enough, still not working. So uh, it still will not turn on. So 
my game plan today is I'm going to ask Rachel, who's one of our engineers, I'm going to ask her if she will try and help me with this because she tried to help on Friday, but we didn't have any of the tiny screwdrivers. I'm going to use Obie's tiny screwdrivers to give to Rachel and uh, ask her if she'll help me on this. Then um, I'm going to also I'm going to write to Salem's tech support, and then I'm going to try and see if uh, if Rachel can help me if I can take it somewhere to a computer repair shop of some sort to get that data off of there. And then I'll return the computer to my former employer, and uh, I'll break down and get a new one. So that's that's where we where we are with this. So, um, not ideal, but it is what it is, right? I guess it could always be worse. I'm starting to wonder also, and as I was so stressed out about this over the weekend because I didn't have as much time to work on the show to begin with because I was looking after my son so much, but um, I started to wonder. As I was so stressed out trying to get this thing working again, maybe I've become too laptop dependent. I mean, I do like the ability to look up things quickly and have all my articles stored on there and all my notes stored on there and not have, you know, today I have five newspapers with me and two separate notebooks with notes on them. In addition to all the stuff that I asked, uh, you know, these guys to print out. So it's, it's a much more lean and mean operation when I have an operational laptop. But, you know, I've seen a lot of talk show hosts that are able to do a show without a laptop, right? So maybe maybe this is shame on me. Maybe this is uh, the universe's way of giving me a, a wake-up call and a smack on the face saying, you don't need to use your laptop for everything. Maybe you should, you know, kind of go old school a little bit. So so that's where that's where we are in terms of the PC situation. I know a lot of you had asked about it, so I figured I would share this with you. Big thank you to everybody that's been emailing me and writing me and texting with different suggestions, and some have been more helpful than others, but uh, that's my game plan. I'm hoping Rachel can use these special tiny little screwdrivers to make the tweak necessary, and if not, I'll uh, I'll take it somewhere. That's that. All right. Hey, uh, coming up in just a moment... Al Michaels is a famous sportscaster. He made a comment about Taylor Swift, which has created a great deal of controversy. We'll get into it in just a moment. We'll take your calls. We've got eight open phone lines if there's anything you want to comment on. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. the other side of midnight i'm frank moreno hey one of the uh, commendations that i um neglected to mention i had it on my list but uh, i neglected to mention it last hour is for naomi petkis who is um one of our best french listeners and she happens to be in new york and you know what she did on thursday night 
is she delivered a whole bunch of uh, terrific French cookies, or as they call them, biscuits. And she dropped them off. And I don't really usually have a sweet tooth. These cookies were phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. The crew here at the radio station devoured them. And I even took a box home, and my wife took them out to Long Island. And they went over big out there. So, so they were really great. So big thank you to uh, Naomi um, and to anybody that sends us anything. Uh, especially she went to the trouble of uh, of dropping of dropping them off. That was very very kind, and uh, were it was very nice to go out of uh, out of your way like that, Naomi. So thank you. I hope you're having a great visit here in New York. All right. Um, so a couple of things that have been in the news this week. One, we are in the midst of football season, which is really exciting. I think it's going really well this year. I think there's some great games, and last week they. Taylor Swift dropped a new album that's getting a lot of attention, and maybe we'll play you some songs from that album this week. You know who is a big fan of Taylor Swift? My son, Carmine. Now, my wife, she makes it out like he he stops crying as soon as she, she, he hears Taylor Swift. I don't think that's exactly the case, but whatever. He's certainly a fan. I think he likes any music in that style. Rachel disagrees. I mean, whatever. this is one of the things that we frequently go back and forth about. Fine. Swifties, that's what they call the Taylor Swift fans. Swifties are not at all happy about Amazon broadcaster Al Michaels' commentary about Taylor Swift during the Cardinals-Saints game on Thursday Night Football. Taylor Swift made a virtual appearance on Thursday Night Football to tease her 10th studio album, Midnight. Midnight's, excuse me, hours before it's released. During the broadcast, Michaels, who's one of the most famous sportscasters of all time, certainly one of the most famous living sportscasters, Al Michaels discussed Swift's fan base, and he seemed to imply that the singer is only popular among teenage girls. This is what Al Michaels said. You have four sons. If you had a daughter, she'd be over the moon. I have a granddaughter who's completely over the moon right now. Dialed in this week probably, waiting for that information. Oh, yeah. Nobody more popular among the teenage girl group than Taylor Swift. Did you hear what he said? So he said, you have four sons. If you had a daughter, she would be over the moon. Talking about the new album. I have a granddaughter, and she's completely over the moon right now. Nobody more popular among the teenage girl group than Taylor Swift. Now, to me, that is a nice thing to say. You know, I'd be thrilled if somebody said that about me. With any group. If you said, hey, you know, there's nobody more popular with... uh, blind people over the age of 80 than Frank Moreno. You know what I'd say? Thank you. It's nice of you to recognize that. Um, But, and also Al Michaels added that Taylor Swift is a fantastic performer. And his broadcasting partner agreed, adding worldwide. The broadcasting partner is named uh, Kirk Herbstrait. Um, Now, shockingly, People are up in arms over these comments. 
ESPN NFL reporter Brooke Pryor tweeted, All respects to Al Michaels, but dudes can be Taylor Swift fans too. And then added, Whew! The toxic masculinity... The toxic masculinity is strong, capitals. Hashtag on here tonight. Toxic masculinity? For saying that teenage girls like Taylor Swift? I don't think Al Michaels was saying only teenage girls like Taylor Swift. I mean, you talk about all the things. To get worked up about. But it wasn't just this one ESPN reporter that made a comment about this. Pro Football Talk's Michael Smith took issue with what Al Michaels said. Quote, the NFL wants to be in business with Taylor Swift. In part because she appeals to a demographic that the NFL would like to reach more. But Al Michaels' assumption that Kirk Herbstreit's kids don't like Taylor Swift because he has sons was kind of dumb. Smith tweeted. One person tweeted, hearing Al Michaels insinuate that boys can't be excited over uh, excited for new Taylor Swift and shaking my head the whole time to show that I don't agree with it. Give me a break. You cannot say anything. In some respects, this is the exact same story that we did last week with Troy Aikman. The um, comments that he made about wearing a dress. I think these comments are even more innocuous. I am floored. And it just goes to show you this is further proof that you can't say anything. Anything you say will make somebody upset. And uh, I just, you know who I feel bad for? Al Michaels. I don't feel bad for Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift's fans. I feel bad for Al Michaels. There's no reason that a broadcaster of Al Michaels' distinction, of his age, somebody that's been doing this for decades, somebody who correctly analyzed Taylor Swift's fan base, and you know what? She does have a lot of fans that are teenage girls. That's all he said. I find this absolutely absurd. And the accusation from this ESPN reporter, Miss Pryor, that this is toxic masculinity, there was nothing toxic about that. Unless I'm blinded by my own misogyny. Am I? 800-848-9222. What do you think? That's 800-848-9222. Another person added, someone tell Al Michaels that people over the age of eight listen to Taylor Swift. I mean, please. You'd think if you were a Taylor Swift fan, you'd be enjoying the new album right now rather than worried about Al Michaels' comments. What do you make of this? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. I enjoyed that segment so much on about Back to the Future because I never really got a chance to see Back to the Future when it came out. I was busy working sure. and doing things. I seen it, you know, later, like same thing with the... It's my felt. Uh, the episodes that were original, I didn't see until years later and enjoy it so much, you know. But uh, you explained to me a lot about uh, with uh, the, the segment there about uh, thinking of Calvin Klein and you know, everything else with uh, Marty, uh, how he looked so much like him and everything. And I really, really, you, you kind of filled the void with me that I 
got to see that. And the same thing with Taylor Swift. Everybody has got to criticize, no matter what. These sportscasters, like Al Michaels, who's alleged, uh, who I met years ago, um, you know, there's like fill-in time to talk between a football game. And sometimes they really don't really pay attention to what they're saying, and there are slip-ups, you know. So of course. Like, that's what makes the world go around, you know. Absolutely. I make uh, I make at least a dozen errors uh, for, for uh, you know, uh, per show. And I can't imagine what it must be like, uh, you know, while you're trying to call a football game and promote the Taylor Swift album, trying to make a segue here. I mean, I think it's very innocuous. Hey, by the way, I'm just curious, Pete. So now uh, that you've seen the Back to the Future films, Later in life. Have you seen all three of them? Yes, I have, but I cannot tell you honestly that I seen them complete. Like I I I I it's gonna sound terrible in me sense, but I really never had a good attention span. I was able to do stage work, stage hand work and not mix up cues and stuff in my earlier days. But now at sixty seven my brain is like a crayon sometimes, you know. So uh, I, 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 a lot of things, even The Godfather, I've seen it in segments. I cannot tell you that I've seen the whole movie complete. I whoa, mean, I've whoa, seen it whoa, enough whoa. to. Whoa. Uh, well, yeah. no, come on, Pete. I'm being truthful. Pete. I really uh, never got to sit down and see the whole thing continuously, but I've seen it in excerpts, you know. Um, I do not understand that. How do you start watching the godfather and then stop i i just i don't get i don't get that at all i've always had a crazy busy life i mean things get interrupted i get a call that one of my friends is going to the hospital and i'm trying to be there for them and stuff it, it, it's really whacked out i mean i'm being honest with you i'm not lying to you but I never really got to complete. I'm looking forward to doing it one day, have like a party and see the whole thing complete. I got relatives that were in the movie that I get to see them alive again. They're dead for about 20 years, you know. Pete, but, you uh, ought to you ought to drop whatever you're doing today and see this see this film in its entirety. Look, Back to the Future what? is one thing. The Godfather, it's it's essential to your cultural literacy. It's a se- it's of almost course. like it's the equivalent of not knowing the alphabet. Right. I get to see my music teacher and I need no more reality. The guy that really made a big difference in my life. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm musically inclined because of him. He, 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 he taught me what to do. He, he enlightened me. Well, Pete, thank you, you know? for the call. Uh, you got to see that picture and let us know what you think of it. I have not heard something so shocking since... Peter Griffin and his family were about to die. And Peter made a similar admission. But since we're all going to die, there's one more secret I feel I have to share with you. I did not care for The Godfather. What? Did not care for The Godfather. Uh, How can you even say that, Dad? Didn't like, didn't like it. Peter, it's so good. Uh, this, it's like the perfect movie. I, this is what everyone always says. Whenever they say, oh, Robert my... De Niro, Al Pacino. I, I mean, you listen. never see... Robert Duvall! I, no, I, no, fine, fine actor. Did not like the movie. Why not? 
did not couldn't get into it. Explain yourself. What didn't it, you like about it? It insists upon itself, Lois. What? <laughs> it insists upon itself. What does that even mean? Because it has a valid point to make. It's insisting. It takes forever getting in. You know, you spend, you spend like six and a half hours, and then, you know, I can't even get through. I can't even finish a movie. I've never even seen the You've ending. You've never seen the ending? Well, well, how can you say you don't like it if you haven't even given it a chance? I but, agree with Joey. It's not really fair. That, I have tried on three separate occasions to get through it, and I, I get to the scene where all the guys are sitting around on the easy chairs. Yes, and a great scene. That's I love that scene. in every annual. I have no idea what they're talking about. It's like they're speaking a different language. That's where I lose interest and you I know go away. They're speaking I'm, Italian. The language they're speaking is a language of subtlety, something you don't understand. I love the money pit. That is my answer <laughs> to that statement. Exactly. Well, there you go. Whatever. I like that movie, too. Pete and Staten Island and Peter Griffin. Kindred spirits, yet again. 800-848-9222. Talk about these Al Michaels uh, comments, more specifically about the criticism of the Al Michaels comments. I think this is absurd that they are criticizing his his comments. Do you think this is toxic masculinity, or is this much ado about nothing? 800-848-9222. Diana is in Manhattan. Hello, Diana. Hi, I love uh, your show, Diana and I love the Godfather. How can someone not like the Godfather? I That's don't understand insane. it, Diana. Guarantee you okay, she mentions but this about show Al that Michaels, she does. There's such a thing as toxic femininity, where women will criticize a man for breathing and say, ha ha, toxic masculinity. I mean, that's ridiculous. He was being very nice, very flattering to Taylor Swift. He didn't say that only teenage girls like Taylor Swift, he just said that they especially like her. And I I honestly do not under... I've experienced toxic masculinity. We all have. Where men say, okay, lady, you know, watch yourself. You know, I mean, yeah, that's toxic masculinity. But uh, I, I do not see any toxic masculinity in what Al Michaels said. I do see toxic femininity in what that reporter said. Toxic femininity. Well, that is interesting. That is a phrase that you don't hear too often. Well, I mean, they're androgenic. What would you, andro, let's see, misogynistic, androgenistic or something. They they just hate men and they, nothing a man does is ever right. I mean, a man can't do anything. Like, who hasn't told off-color jokes at work? Big deal. It doesn't hurt anyone. Everyone has a nice time. The women tell them as much as the men. But, oh, sexual harassment. Or, oh, he said I looked good in this dress. I want him arrested. That is ridiculous. That is insane. Well, uh, Diana, uh, I had thought for sure that you were going to squeeze in a plug for the Diana Monford show. And it goes to show, I have no idea what I'm talking about because you did not. Thank you for Squeezing a plug, and you're an angel. I love you for that. And I'm starting a podcast. Oh, there you go. Well, how can people listen to it? Is it is it on Apple, it's like on Andrew Cuomo? Radio. It's the third Thursday of every month from nine to ten. It's going to be basically a, a political podcast. You know, I'm yeah. a Democrat. I must admit. So that will be the coloration of the podcast. Well, Diana, now you have been very open that you're transgender, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so maybe, you know, you might be a Democrat for now, but maybe you'll be transpolitical one day. Maybe you'll change parties in the future. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. Everyone who knows me says, oh, you're so conservative. I grew up in a Catholic household, as you did. 
I mean, we weren't religious, but I went to Catholic school. And we were responsible people who went to work and paid our taxes. And it's very difficult to back the complete democratic agenda when Mm -hmm. there's crime in the streets, crime in the subways, and this is presented as democracy. Well, what about our democracy, like safety for the public? Do we not count? Hey, uh, Diana, you count in my book, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you very much, Diana. 800-848-9222. So her blog, her podcast is going to be on Blog Talk Radio. Those of you keeping track, Andrew Cuomo's podcast. You can download it on Apple. So just go to Apple and just, I I don't know, speak to it. And uh, you can get the new uh, Andrew Cuomo podcast, whatever it's called, Facts and Making Sense or whatever it is. It is on Apple. You can download it on Apple. 800-848-9222. Greg is in New Jersey. Hello, Greg. Hey, Frank. Good morning. How are you? Uh, make hey, a living. I, all right. Good. Never never saw any of the Godfather trilogy. Uh, tried 10 years ago to get through the first one. Couldn't get past the wedding scene. Completely boring. Most 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 overrated movie, maybe ever. Wait, wait, but you're basing that just on the first scene in the picture. It, I was. Let me paint a picture for you. I was uh, at the time. I'm retired now as a police officer. I was working overnight, sitting in a wire room. Nothing was going on, so it was just me and a television trying to stay awake at one in the morning, and. Could not watch it, could not keep it on. It was putting me to sleep. You know, I, All right, so I get it, right? And I get that art is subjective, right? I, I listen to some radio shows. I think they're great. Other people listen to them. They think they're boring. I get all that. Here's why um, it's essential that you, even if you don't love the picture, it's essential that you watch the movie in its entirety at, at your convenience, even if you have to break it up in four viewings. There are so many cultural references to The Godfather that you'll come across in life, it, not only other films, but just in people's everyday life, that by not even seeing the film in its entirety, you are, you're missing out on that. It, it's almost like never having read Romeo and Juliet or not understanding that Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. You, there, it, it, there's a baseline of cultural literacy that having seen the film gives you. And I understand some people may not like it or think it's overrated. Fine. Um, I, I don't think that Peter Griffin's description that it insists upon itself is a good one. But I, I get where you're coming from, Greg. That being said, Greg, you have to see the picture. You have to see it just so you get all these references going forward. Well, you're right about the references. I've people people I know talk about it all the time, and I'm aware of what they're talking about, but I can't contribute to that conversation. But uh, I don't think I'm going to take you up on that, Frank. It, it was hard, hard getting through oh, that. Oh, Greg, you know, was 20 Greg, minutes. I, you're I killing me, it. Greg. You're Greg. You, you, you well, I appreciate you listening anyway, and uh, I'm glad that. Uh, thank you for your service at, as a uh, as a police officer, and thank you for your service as a listener to this program as well. Thank you, Greg. You know, it's funny listening to Greg. He makes mention how he doesn't get these references. Just to go back to our previous conversation, there's another show that I really enjoy. It's not as good as Family Guy, but it's good. It's called American Dad. And there's a character on this show, the, the Stan Smith. He's one of the, basically the main character. 
And he, there's one episode where he collect, he's trying to restore a DeLorean, the same sort of vehicle that's the time machine in Back to the Future. And he's never seen the movie Back to the Future. So because he's trying to restore this DeLorean, everyone assumes that he's a big fan of Back to the Future, which he's not. He's never seen it. So the whole episode is people making Back to the Future references that Stan does not get. And that's what I feel like if you're Pete or Greg or Marlena Shivo, who is similarly situated, and if you've never seen the picture, there's just a whole bunch of the world that you're not going to get. I've never seen it. Well, I told you that. I know. You're, you, you, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise <laughs> And I own it. I actually own it on blue at one and two. Right. So I, I don't know what to do with you, Matt. Matt. But, I'm not, but I'm not saying I'm not going to see it or refuse to ever look at it because it's horrible. I just haven't gotten around yet. I've seen Back to the Future one, two, and three at least 500 times. What, 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 I, I don't understand. How about the 499th time that you watch Back to the Future 2? You say, eh, I'll watch Godfather Part 1 here. Instead. I do. I, I see the Blu-ray. It's sitting there. Actually, two is still in the package. I didn't even open it yet. But one, I, I, I started watching it, and I got, just like I think it was Greg that just said, he got to the wedding scene, and that was it. The wedding scene yeah. is the beginning. <laughs> you know what? I want to thank all of you, Greg, Matt Blaze, and uh, Pete, because I started at the beginning of the show saying something that I've said repeatedly, which is... I can't understand when people hear something that they disagree with on this show, either for me or a guest, that they have to turn off the radio. But having this discussion about The Godfather and hearing Matt's, Greg, and Pete's explanation for why they have not seen the film, it makes me want to change the channel. It makes me want to leave the show. I can't even believe what I'm hearing. It, it's paining me to hear this. Uh, that I, so I've, I have a new appreciation for the people that turn out, uh, turn off the show when there's opinions they disagree with. Don't worry, Frank. I've seen it about a thousand times. Of, of course so you have. Kevin. I love that movie because you're an adult, and this is part of what adults do in the United States of America. They've seen The Godfather. You know what? It, I, I, next thing you're going to tell me, you know the alphabet. Or and you know uh, that the first book of the Bible was Genesis, and that uh, you know Eve ate an apple, and that uh, Romeo and Juliet didn't live to be happily ever after. Right? There are certain things you need to know in order to have a baseline of cultural literacy. There's you need to know the sky is blue, and culturally, there are certain things that you need to understand. The Godfather is one of those. You need to have seen the film. Even if you don't like it, you need to have seen it just to get all the references to it. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Marianne is in Indiana. Hello, Marianne. Hello, Frank. Um, A few years ago, they had the... uh... DeLorean car from Back to the Future on display at the IU uh, Indiana University Auditorium, the cinema there. It was very cool. Yeah, I, I would imagine it was. Did you, you went and saw it, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, they it was uh, the Silver DeLorean. It had, like, the marks on it, you know, from the movie and everything. But that's all. Well, wonderful. I appreciate you sharing that, Marianne. Okay. Thank you. you. We're all better off for it. Now, um, one story I saw over the weekend that did interest me, especially now that we're going into the holiday season, once Halloween ends, then we are diving headfirst into that holiday season. You know you're going to hear Christmas music on some radio station before you know it. I'm surprised that there's nothing already playing. So Santa Claus... And we we discuss this a little more as we get closer to Christmas because I'm very interested, just like I'm interested in Jesus, not just as a religious figure, but as a historical figure. I'm very interested in Santa Claus as a historical figure. And archaeologists have found the tomb that holds the remains of St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas is sort of the basis for Santa Claus. They found the tomb that holds the remains of St. Nicholas underneath an ancient church in Turkey. Nicholas, who became the basis for the Christmas character of Santa Claus, died more than 1,600 years ago. Um, Osman Erevzer, chairman of the Antalya Cultural Heritage Preservation Regional Board, told Fox News, this is an extremely important discovery this first find from that period. After rising sea levels in the Mediterranean submerged the church, a second church was built there centuries later. Now, according to Arefsar, now we have reached the remains of the first church and the floor on which St. Nicholas stepped. The tiling of the floor of the first church on which St. Nicholas walked has been unearthed. So researchers have been examining the foundations of the Church of St. Nicholas for decades. And they also recently uncovered a fresco of Jesus on the site. In 2017, when archaeologists found the tomb but couldn't confirm, a newspaper noted that the finding was considered surprising as the remains of St. Nicholas were believed to have been smuggled to the Italian city of Bari by Italian merchants in 1087. Um, St. Nicholas was a fascinating guy. A 4th century bishop who lived under the Roman Empire. He was persecuted for his faith under Emperor Diocletian, but lived to see Constantine come to power and legalize Christianity. And after his release, St. Nicholas attended the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 A.D. And he was buried in his cathedral church. And there were all sorts of stories that emerged about St. Nicholas's generosity. And according to, Saint, uh, to history, St. Nicholas was introduced into American popular culture towards the end of the 18th century when groups of Dutch families gathered to honor the anniversary of his death. And the name, Santa Claus evolved from Nick's Dutch name, Sinterklaas, a shortened form of Sint Nicholas, which is Dutch for St. Nicholas. So now um, it looks like they found his tomb. I think that is great. Now, one of the things that I learned is that 
his remains were stolen by vandals. And you have to think that whoever did that, whoever, and I guess they say that it was, um, yeah, they say his remains were pilfered around 700 years after his death. So his exact burial spot wasn't even known until now. Whoever pilfered the remains of St. Nicholas, I have to think that not only did they get coal for Christmas for the rest of their days, but I have to think that all their descendants got coal as well. I don't think I'm off base on that. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Kunkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, how was your weekend, my friend? Good. You know, it was uh, it was uh, exhausting at times. It was fun and productive in that I carved a pumpkin. It was frustrating in that I couldn't get my laptop working. It was fun in that I got to watch a horror movie by myself. Um, and I it was uh, oh, it's always delightful when I get to uh, smoke a cigar, have some uh, have some libations, and I spend some time with some family. And uh, I have no complaints. No complaints. Other than maybe I should have made it a little earlier of a night on Saturday so I could have gotten more sleep. But other than that, no other complaints. All right. Two things before you, you know, do like Curtis, introduce me to Krista Click. Um, talking about Back to the Future, there's a guy on Long Island, Coram, New York. I'm a big car guy. I see Frankie from Glendale at all the car shows. He restores only DeLoreans, Frank. He literally has over 30 of them in his shop. And that's all he does. Um, I'm like Pete from Staten Island. I haven't watched it all the way through The Godfather. But I watched the entire movie, but I could never, ever get to sit down. It's always been in excerpts. And before I go, I didn't know that your laptop was owned by another company. When my wife was terminated from a job, they remotely shut the computer down. So before you go any further... Maybe you should contact them. They can remotely shut your computer down. Yeah, I I brought this up Friday. That was one of the theories that I that occurred to me. Uh, so it is possible, and that's why I'm going to write to them today. But uh, I'd like to at least get some of that data off there. All right, have a good night. Thank you, Joe. I'll tell you what we're going to do next. We are going to try to give away $1,000. And because... Because I was kind of rushed before the show to get everything done, I have to tell you, these trivia questions are among the easiest we've had in quite some time. Quite some time. And I have just given away a lot of the answers in the course of the last three hours and 30 minutes. So if you were listening to this entire show, you are in good shape. There's one question that's tough. Question 10. Everything else is pretty easy. So if you want to try and win $1,000 by answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
this is The Other Side of Midnight. This is Taylor Swift. A very catchy song here. And I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, but Taylor Swift, very popular with teenage girls. So there you have it. Much like Al Michaels. Um, all right. We're going to go through uh, a bunch of other interesting stories before we get out of here. But uh, first, it is time for us to give someone an opportunity to win some money by answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morales. Oh, yes. Uh, this is uh, the portion of the show where we always give somebody an opportunity to do well and win some money. And today's contestant is Dan in Farmingdale. Hello, Dan. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Uh, are you familiar with this uh, with this game, Dan? I am. I, I've heard it. Several times. Okay, great. So you know the rules. We don't need to repeat them. The one piece of advice I can give you is don't get nervous, even though I know we're all trying to go through this quickly. Don't get nervous because be, that's the only thing that can stop you. These are very easy questions, okay? Ready to go. All right. What state is New York City in? New York. What biblical couple was expelled from the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve. What ocean is off the coast of California? Pacific. What team What team is going to the World Series? There are two. You just have to name one. The Phillies. Which Roman emperor supposedly fiddled while Rome burned? Nero. What is the name of the toy cowboy in Toy Story? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's a sheriff. Uh, not big on Toy Story. I, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Take, take a guess. Same first name as a Cheers character and a director. Uh, Norm? No, I'm sorry. No. It, it It's Woody. Woody. Sheriff Woody. Oh, yeah. Sorry, uh, Dan. All right. Well, you made it up to yard. question six. You made it up to question six. All right. I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information. We're going to send you a consolation prize, okay? All right. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Oh, sorry. It sounded like you were going to say something nice there, Dan. I don't want to interrupt you before you completed your thought. What was it? I said, I said better luck next time, Exactly. Maybe. Exactly. That's the, uh, that's, the, that's the spirit. And see Toy Story. It's not exactly essential viewing the way... Back to the Future is, but uh, it's certainly certainly worth seeing, right? Uh, again, if for no other reason than baseline cultural literacy. Today is Diwali. Happy Diwali uh, to everybody that celebrates. And uh, congratulations. If you're a New York City school child, you will be off this time next year. And uh, today is also National Baloney Day. National Food Day, that seems like an overly broad holiday. Uh, Today is National Kangaroo Awareness Day, so be aware of any kangaroos. 
Today's United Nations Day. And today is also National Jamaican Jerk Day. So if you're a Jamaican jerk, today's your day. Not sure if we're talking about Jamaica, Queens, or Jamaica, the island nation. Either way, if you're a jerk, you're in luck. I want to wish a happy birthday to actors F. Murray Abraham and Kevin Klein, as well as Canadian rapper Drake. If you're reaching out to him with birthday wishes, the best way to get him, I understand, is to call him on his cell phone. And uh, also, my uh, I want to com- I want to wish a happy birthday to my friend Jennifer Sabetti, good friend of mine. Who um, she was one of my friends. I befriended her. Very interesting story. A friend of mine was was I was at uh, in a bar four or five no probably five years ago no more than that five or six years ago, and a friend of mine was hitting on her in a bar. And she came with us to a second location, and she didn't hit it off with my friend, but we stayed in touch for whatever reason. And then she became also Rachel's friend, my wife Rachel's friend. And it's very rare when a couple kind of adopts one of the couple's friends. Usually you have the Frank's friends, Rachel's friends, but she became our friend, and she's a good friend. And as she moved, she's from Minnesota, but she moved back to Minnesota about a year ago and uh, we miss her a great deal. We haven't uh, haven't seen her. Also, uh, happy birthday to Mandy Stadmiller, who is a terrific writer, who I've interviewed before. Mandy Stadmiller, great writer, but she's uh, one of those people that's a better writer than she is a uh, a radio guest. So, uh, happy birthday to her, and uh, happy birthday to Bill Nye. A great radio salesman that I've worked with a bunch of different places. Dahlia Smith, also celebrating her birthday today. And my friend Robin Valbone, who I went to elementary school with. Back then she was Robin Rossiter. And her brother was a Jeopardy champion, who I've interviewed, Devin Rossiter. Isn't that cool? So today, sister of a Jeopardy champion. And you know, again, and I hate to do this, but I have to take issue with my friend, Council Minority Leader Joe Borelli. I'm watching one of the cable news channels, and Joe Borelli's on there right now, giving commentary about crime or cops or something. And he looks good, right? Does not look like he's been woken up in the middle of the night. Got a sports jacket on, a nice nice shirt. And the reason I take issue with it, and Joe is one of my closest friends. His son was one of was our ring bearer when Rachel and I got married three years ago. And the reason I have to take issue with him is Joe texts me constantly during this show. Constantly. And I said, Joe, if you're awake, call in. You know, we'll, we'll have a good time. We'll, we'll, you'll inform people. You'll, you know, we'll have a few laughs. And he always says, no, you know, I want to go back to sleep. No, I don't want to wake anybody. Uh, you know, okay, fine. I respect that. Texting is quiet and you can go right back to sleep after texting. Yet. He has got an opportunity to go on television. All of a sudden, not worried about waking anybody up in his house. All of a sudden, oh, it's fine. Be loud, get a, a camera light set up, I'm sure. I mean, come on, dude. So uh, so that's that. That's that. Uh, today, the Toronto Blue Jays beat the Atlanta Braves to become the first major league baseball team not based 
in the United States to win the World Series. I remember that, that World Series, 92, Game game 6. Pat Borders hit that uh, home run to win the World Series. I think against Jeff Reardon was the pitcher. I was paying much closer attention to baseball 30 years ago than than I did now. And uh, today also was the day that the United Nations is born out of the treaty that brought it into existence. So that's why today is United Nations Day, I suppose. So there you have it. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame coming up in just a minute. So if you'd like to be heard, you can do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And uh, we'll take your calls and on any subject for 15 seconds um, in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. People that uh, I, I should have given a uh, shout out to is uh, Wyatt Cox. Wyatt Cox is with the uh, Nevada Talk Radio Network, and he's a great guy. He hosts a classic radio theater program out there. I, I don't actually, I don't know him personally, but he seems like a great guy, and he's certainly very good on the radio. There's a lot of classic radio theater, the kind of shows that we were talking about it, and he's with our affiliates in uh, Nevada the Nevada Talk Radio Network, and does a great job with them. And he sent me a whole bunch of, when I first posted about my um, radio, my uh, computer problems the other day, he was one of the first people to reach out to me with suggestions for how to fix my laptop problems. Now, ultimately, we were not able to fix them, but he is uh, a big cheerleader for our show as the content manager for the Nevada Talk Network. He's into wrestling. He's always sending me interesting articles about wrestling. So I wanted to thank him at least for making an effort to um, you know, help solve our computer issues. By the way, I want to urge you 
If you have not already done so, please join our Facebook group because we are that's where we post all the songs that we play the, on the show as bumper music on a daily basis. That's in the Facebook group. It's also meant to be a platform for people who want to comment about this show. You want to make a comment. Uh, it's called Morano Radio Fans and Haters. So just search that, M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. You want to say, oh, you know, tonight's show was really boring without any guests? Go ahead and do it. Uh, tonight's show was really great without any guests? Go ahead and do it. The only thing that I would ask is that you try to keep the content relevant to the show. A lot of people try and comment on there about, you know, promoting political issues or doing this or doing that. Just keep it relevant. We cast a broad net, right? Okay. So anything that we've covered on the show, do that. And then the other thing I don't understand is people, for some reason, they love to comment on what's going on on other radio shows, which I, I don't I don't get that at all. Why, why wouldn't you comment on just a general radio discussion group if you're interested in commenting on those shows. So if you're interested in commenting on this show or just knowing about the music that we play, just uh, join that Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. That's where I share a lot of the articles that we talk about, including, and a lot of the links. Um, we shared that uh, Walk of Life project where you can actually see a lot of the films that we were talking about. And the the ending with the Dire Straits song and a bunch of other things there as well. 800-848-9222 if you would like to be heard for 15 seconds. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Neil. Carlos Beltran, come on back and manage the Mets. The knuckleheads need you more than ever. Joe. Right. The 15 seconds is for the people. It's getting less and less. And quit having all these liberals on last week. Mike. Good morning, Frank. One way to cure your blind misogyny, get a female seeing eye dog. Charlie. Hey, hi, Frank. I sent you, I'm the guy sending you the emails. Um, I'd like you to please... Put a shout out for Southwest Florida. The storm is not over. The media don't want to cover it. We need help down here. People, donate. Thank you. Ernie. CRT. CRT. Not critical race theory. For us old timers, it's cathode ray tube. (laughs) Rick. Good morning. Frank, we need to do a story on Facebook and Facebook. Facebook jail. Facebook really has a nerve putting banning people for thirty days and putting you in Facebook jail. Ralph. Okay. Uh, listeners do not allow Hokum to victor signal and cancel culture uh, him in the upcoming debate. Go league, go. You are the one. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Troy. Go to Wall Go Tech. WallStreetGrowth.com to support the blind. We really need your help. Go to WallStreetGrowth.com and help with the blind. 800-848-9222. Cheech. There's a lot of talk these days about getting illegal guns off the streets. How about you take the freaking guys carrying the illegal guns off the streets? 
Isn't that an idea? Sing! Hey, when I'm depressed, I watch Seinfeld. It makes me feel good. Your show has the same effect on me. You're a good guy. I love you, man. Oh, well, isn't that nice? Well, I, that strikes me as uh, as good of a note to end uh, this uh, this segment on before Ooh, yeah. as somebody gets called a moron and uh, somebody else takes issue with Janine Pirro's prosecutorial record and somebody else uh, makes a uh, Little Rascals reference to the Florida. That's very nice, Singh. Thank you. That's what we try and do. It's supposed to be an uplifting show, right? Sometimes we will discuss serious issues, you know, serious issues like crime and punishment, nuclear war. Whatever the case may be, uh, serious health issues like uh, chronic kidney disease, which we've spent some time about. But we always try to at least maintain um, a level of good humor about it, right? At least that's what I try to do. And I, hopefully, hopefully we're successful. This is a big day in the Murano household. I My standard uniform at home during the day is pajamas, right? If you come to my house... Before 9 p.m., if you come and visit, and I, you, you know, let's say I wake up 2 p.m., so if you come and visit between 2 p.m. and 9 p.m., you will see me in a bathrobe and pajama pants, right? Well, I've been, I have this great pair of kind of plaid pajama pants. It's torn. It's torn to shatters. To, 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 it looks like, like rags almost now. My wife has purchased me a new pair of pajama pants and insisted that I throw out the torn and shredded pajama pants that I've been wearing for literally years now. So this will be my first day around the Murano household with trying out these new pair of pajama pants. So tune in tomorrow, find out how this worked out. I might be a new man tomorrow. We got some good stuff on aliens tomorrow. Oh, some great stuff on, uh, speaking of uplifting, on Mexican drug cartels tomorrow as well. And uh, journalist, conservative activist Jen Kearns has a new book out. She's going to be here. A lot of other fun stuff as well. All right. Um, in the meantime, hopefully you are doing something fun today. If not, at least doing something productive. Frank Morano, good day.